0: Welcome back. We are in November now, and uh, we're going to be putting this out there right before Thanksgiving comes up. Hope you are all going to have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving this year, that it'll be better than last year. certainly seems like it should be in most places. Mm-hmm. I'm a little under the weather. I apologize in advance if I if I cough. You've all had me, uh, you've heard me cough uh, recently, too. Tim, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay over here. It's uh, kind of a toasty day. I saw licorice pizza last night. How is um, uh, it's another one of those uh, missives uh, that he does uh, to, a, to a time gone by here in Los Angeles uh, interesting for fellows like you and me Yeah, I mean you've been here your, your entire life so when, when when you sit down to see it you will see this LA from 1973, this actual physical LA from 1973, it's just a fascinating thing, when I first got here in 1990 the 1990 LA and the 1970s LA were more or less the same LA, LA did not Begin to sort of really actually physically change until the 2000s, middle 2000s, when when very sort of iconic things literally started to go away. So I got to experience that, that that LA and and watching, uh, you know, uh, one of his films will just always sort of like put you there uh, as he tells uh, a little, you know, a little story that's really just a bunch of, you know, Stories. He's just telling these stories from his childhood, and Gary Goetzman as a character, and and a sort of William yeah, Holden yeah. guy as a character. And I guess if you grew up here in L.A., you know you have stories like this. I just I, I think yeah, about I mean, that, I and I'm, I, I'm like I'm like Wade could make this movie. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, they all
0: they all feel like yesterday, and I know they weren't. Yeah, it's funny we were weren't. just talking oh.
1: about it, right? Uh, yeah. uh, so you know, uh, an interesting kind of thing. You know, what we forgot to do. We forgot to look up
0: who died. Uh, so we, we, you know what we've. I, I looked a little bit up of it. Uh, first, I want to make mention that just about a week ago, Walter Mirisch turned 100 years okay, old. start with that. I know a lot of people may not realize Walter Mirisch even still exists, but Walter Mirisch. It's interesting with West Side Story, the Spielberg film coming out. <coughs> Walter Mirisch's company produced the original West Side mm-hmm. Story in 1961. Mm-hmm. So, sixty years ago, he was a forty-year-old man, and he and his brothers would <laughs> produce *West Side Story*. And of course, there would—you know Marish Company would do things like *Some Like It Hot* and and *The Apartment* and all all those great Billy Wilder movies, all of the uh, the *Pink Panther* movies. You know, the Mirisch Company was the original independent producer, independent production company. They started that for everybody. Yeah. And 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 prior to that, everything was done inside the studios. The Mirishes were the first ones, the first ones to whom studios farmed things out. Mm. Okay, we'll give you a little bit of money and you develop this. Yeah. We're not going to develop and decide. We're going to let the Mirish company do it. And now that's that's the model. They were the first. So Walter Mearish, 100 years old, still going strong, still wants to win another Oscar, and... Our good friend Brant, who wrote and directed our our mm-hmm. short uh, Refugee, uh, Oscar shortlisted last year, Brant was on the Universal lot one time, probably about three four years ago, and uh, bumped into this old guy in the elevator going up in the in the Black Tower where all the executive offices are, and found out it was Walter Mirich. Every day he puts on a tie and a suit and goes to the office at one hundred years old. That. <laughs> is an example to me I'm gonna be doing you's that. you know, that's, 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 uh, uh, that's
1: why that's why he's 100 years old uh, it's, he's, it's got real, he's got so he's, he's always got something to do tomorrow uh, <laughs> he never goes to sleep without anything to do tomorrow he knows exactly what it. he's gonna do he's got to figure out what what suit and tie to wear at, at number one and then he's got to get his ass to the office uh, and uh, yep. that'll keep you alive for 100 years apparently but in terms of people who died, Dean Stockwell yeah. lost Dean Stockwell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Dean Stockwell was an actor for longer than most people actually live. Um, uh, because he started when he was, uh, a, a little, a okay. little bitty boy. Um, yeah. uh, and, and he stayed an actor through every phase, a successful actor. Through every yeah. phase of his life, you know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, child actors and, and what will happen to them and all that kind of stuff. Well, for Dean Stockwell, uh, he stayed an actor is what he did. He did. Um, um, my Dean Stockwell is the Dean Stockwell of Quantum Leap, uh, him and Scott Bakulian. Uh, uh, him popping in. I love that. I, you know, I, I, I'm a big, 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 big ridiculous fan of that show. My wife is in an episode of that show. I, I always just love the show, uh, in general. I love the characters, uh, in, 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 that show. And I love the way Dean played all that stuff. Um, yeah. um, um, uh, he was, he was just amazing. But Dean was in night galleries and, 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 and.
0: and Blue Velvet. His whole oh serenade in Blue Velvet is just, is, is legendary, you know? Yeah. I mean, an amazing actor who survived through many different generations of changes in acting style and movie styles. And he just, he somehow belongs to all those eras in a very unique way. Not often known. Dean Stockwell won best actor at the Cannes Film Festival um, uh, twice and only just a few years apart back in like night. It was like late fifties and then 1962 again for, for uh, long day's journey into night. Only two other actors have ever won best actor at the Cannes Film Festival twice Jack Lemon and Marcello Mastroianni. Wow. And the third is Dean Stockwell. That's pretty great. That is insane company. I did not know that. And, yeah. and,
1: and that's just, yeah. uh, that's just insane company. That's, a, that's yeah. amazing.
0: Dean, Dean
1: always popped up. He just, he pop, he, would, he would just pop up in some of some of my favorite shows, you know, Dean, Dean is in a couple episodes of Stargate. Dean is in a, a, a few. yeah, you know, I mean, he's just there. He would be, you know, um, sort of being Dean Stockwell. Uh, so yeah, missed yeah. him. Uh, so
0: good one, well, good, good one there. Well, yeah. And and uh, we also lost uh, a film critic colleague, David Schute, mm. C H U T E. If you want to look up some of his uh, his writings, David Schutt, um is an extraordinary figure in in, in film history. Um, he he was diagnosed with uh, esophageal cancer just a few weeks ago, and and it took him rather quickly and and it's devastating to a lot, a lot of us who are close to him David was he's the, he's the he's the OG when it comes to to Americans who championed Hong Kong cinema mm-hmm. um, you know I uh, <clears throat> I'd always loved kung Fu movies growing up but it wasn't until you know David Shute introduced Andy Klein to those movies taken him to San Gabriel and the Chinatown theaters and showed him you know the breadth of what those movies were and could be and, uh, and you know, he, he, his writing opened it up to me as well. And then Andy Klein introduced me to David, and David was invaluable to, to me when I was writing my Jackie Chan book. And and a lot of people don't realize David Shute basically is responsible for John Woo having an American career. Mm. And, uh, you know, he he's sort of where it all came together as far as opening up. What I what I call our muddy Western eyes to the, the the spectacular stuff that was going on in Hong Kong through throughout the the eighties and nineties in particular. So uh, David Shute, um is gone and and we will miss him terribly. But what an amazing legacy he leaves of of film criticism, which made a difference. And that's that's something to say. He didn't just write reviews; he made a difference with his criticism. He 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 bridged cultural divides. Yeah and and uh, he did that as well later in his career with Bollywood movies you know when he was done with Hong Kong he went and tackled Indian cinema which is like the heaviest lift of all and, and did an amazing job with it So, oh, yeah, uh, David Shute yeah. A, a a really legendary epic film critic and I'm so sorry he's gone but what a legacy yeah,
1: he he he's a big fan of Romero and John Waters and anything oh. anything off the beaten path uh, I didn't know That's him it. but I read him and uh, your film he wrote for Boston uh, Phoenix a uh, film comment a bunch of
0: so yeah there you go. Film comment, yeah. Well, let's let's get bouncing. Uh, oh, yeah, I've got cool. some docs here. I'm going to pop through some docs real quickly. Right. Uh, we've got uh, a, a we've got first. Let me do uh, this one here. The Hidden Life of Trees, which is based on a book actually, and I was not familiar with the book, but uh, I grew up with a book in the house called The Secret Life of Plants, oh, yeah. which I remember my mother was really excited about, where the, the whole premise was that they did these studies and can plants hear us and react to us? Do plants have emotions? I thought, that's weird, man. You know, what are you up to, Mom? <gasps> and sure enough, it was very, very interesting, the the stuff. And this is kind of along the same lines. Um, uh, Peter w- Wollobin is the is the guy who sort of underlines all of this this world these theories and it gives a completely different perspective on the on uh, on environmentalism and and trees and vegetation and ecology and um it's it's really really interesting um it's an interesting perspective you may not completely embrace it you might think some of it is a little bit out on the edge but Boy, it's really, really interesting to 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 kind of start to understand forests and wooded areas as more than just an ecosystem, but but a social system. Mm. So, I, I really very fascinating, and I'm curious to read the book now. So that's the hidden life of trees. Uh, and then we have got uh, thank you for supporting the arts, which uh, is really quite a quite an interesting and unusual film this is from um, uh, cinema libre cinema libre studios which does very socially conscious stuff Gus van sant shows mm-hmm. up in this by the way and um, the, uh, the 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 oh god i don't even quite know how to, how to how to frame this it's um it's a it's a look at people who um, it's, it, let's put it this way: It does for the arts, maybe in the same way what the what the previous film does, did with respect to trees mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, it's 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 a it's a different way of looking at the arts. It's a different way of, um, especially things like stripping. Mm-hmm. I don't want to kind of give give everything away, but um, here's here's the here's the thing: Anything can be an art if it is in the hands of an artist. Mm-hmm. Anything can, if you, if it's not in the hands of an artist, it will, it will not be art. No. So the question here is: This woman, who is a stripper, um, is it, is it a sex thing? Is it a feminist thing? Is it an art thing? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that that is sort of posed here. And uh, Gus Van Sant weighs in, and a lot of other people weigh in. Yeah, they should, they should have asked ask me. It, I want to weigh in. and 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 it and it takes it beyond i don't want people to think it's just about stripping because it takes it beyond stripping it takes it to a question of what are the arts what makes something an art what makes someone an artist it gets rather rather profound so um that's as much as i'll I'll give away um and then we have a great one here from first run features gustav stickley american craftsman
1: Mm. oh man
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, Stickley is, is one of the sort of key figures in, oh, yeah. uh, the American kind of movie, tr- yeah. The, the, in Yeah, uh, you know, really, uh, kind of an amazing artist in and of him is a right, very particular kind of, uh, design and furniture and, and decoration and so forth. So I watch a lot of um, Antiques
1: roadshow. Let me tell you something. Whenever, whenever, whenever somebody all, has some stickly,
0: <laughs> the number, that's the, right. the, the,
1: the the quote is going to be way up there. So it's beautiful. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, 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 you know, he, he does a lot like it's, it, you know, I, I always knew him just as kind of basically a furniture guy, yeah. but he's, he's more than a furniture guy. He's more than a furniture than the guy who makes, you know, particular furniture. He's uh it's a complete aesthetic. And uh, that's what this gets into is a really significant figure and much more influential than I think I ever uh, actually gave him credit for. And there's a lot, this is only about a 67 minute doc There's a lot packed into it. Really, really very interesting. And in quite the businessman too, I should, mm-hmm, out. uh, LA plays itself. Famous, famous film. This has been around for quite a while. It was uh, previously on Blu-ray. Then uh, the rights were, were, uh, withdrawn and it is back again. Uh, and, uh, what an amazing, uh, kind of, uh, experimental, but wonderful tribute to, to Los Angeles. Mm. And it is, um, it is here included. It's a 4k restoration and it is part of a larger thing on this one Blu-ray called the Fred Halstead collection, which includes, um, the hour long film sex tool, which is longer than LA plays itself. Mm. By the way, it's just not as famous. Uh, and, um, uh, the sex garage, which is a, a half hour film and, uh, 4k restorations of LA plays itself and, and sex tool and 2k restoration of the sex garage. And, uh, you know, it's all, all very, very interesting. Fred Halstead is a, uh, a, a fine filmmaker and that's worth paying attention to. Oh yeah. We also have from film movement, uh, Robert Mugget, another great documentarian, Robert muggy uh, deep blues, which is just a fantastic documentary about the blues. Uh, this was, um, commissioned by Dave Stewart, believe it or not. You know, we think of the Eurythmics as kind of an eighties mm. band, but the Eurythmics, there's a lot of blues going on. Oh, there. Yeah. And Dave Stewart yeah. is, I mean, you know, Annie's, and, yeah. Annie's vocals and Dave Stewart's guitar. Yeah. It's very bluesy. Yeah. And so, uh, it was Dave Stewart who commissioned it and sent Robert Muggy, uh, down into the into the the you know the, the the northern part of Mississippi and and the Delta to kind of find what's happening with the blues today. Where's the soul of the blues? And it's pretty great. They find find just some amazing artists and incredible musicians. who are probably never going to be otherwise be on your radar. This may be the only time that you see mm. them. And these are just incredible, incredible people and some great music here. If you love the blues, boy, this is just this is going to cut you right to the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the blues. To the Bee Gees. Oh my God, I
1: love the Bee Gees.
0: Frank Marshall. Frank Marshall did an HBO original, The Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, which uh, came out this year. This is on Blu ray. I am so grateful for this because I have been a Bee Gees fan since I was a kid on the school bus, listening to all, every song from the uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And, um, uh, you know, there's only, Barry's the only one. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm a little bit
1: older than you, so I actually remember The Bee Gees the first time. They That's were, right. Before, they before were, Saturday Night they Night Fever. were big stars in the in, in the late yeah. in the late sixties, and and then that whole other thing. And wow, yeah,
0: it's uh. So Frank Marshall, you know, labor love. He's mostly doing documentaries these days, but boy, what a what a great mm-hmm. tribute. Um, if if you know, the Bee Gees were kind of a joke for for a moment, like everybody else from disco. So this takes that whole it goes from that early sixties period. All the way through, man! All the way through, right in the man. '80s and and beyond. And it, it uh, a lot of people interviewed here. Some really important people who worked with them and admire them and know them. Eric Clapton, Justin Timberlake, uh, Nick Jonas. You know, they they throw the the, the young kids in man. there who. Who, who give today's generation permission to realize how great? Yeah, yeah, were. yeah, yeah.
1: And you know, it, it, I look. I always, I like the ones. I like the. I like the, I like the artists of, of, of any given day, but of today, who who, who yep. pay homage, who 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 recognize. Look, I didn't. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't born an, anew. I you know, I was built from something. And, uh, and uh, it. mostly it was my parents' records collection, is <laughs> what
0: it was. You, that's right, that's right. Uh, we have an epic documentary here, also from HBO, another HBO original, Tiger. This is over three hours on Tiger Woods. And it is written, yeah. but I will say mm-hmm. it is incomplete mm-hmm. because the man is still young yeah. and still alive. Yeah. Oh. And so I kind of feel like the final chapter to this doc hasn't been written. But what is amazing is that, to me, that a, that a guy that young and that successful can justify a three-hour and 15-minute documentary that is never dull and never boring. There has been so much drama in his life. And we think about, you know, the auto accident. And his, no, and all his that happened since, since, since that documentary. You, you, know, you know what uh, I like I about that doc, though? Um, uh-huh. Because, again,
1: you and I are of, of an age of where we remember uh, when there was no Tiger Woods, and then suddenly right. there's a Tiger Woods, uh, right. and and and, uh, and and all all of that, and all, and all of that is, 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 is in that film, and that was really really interesting to watch, fascinating to sort of walk through that sort of, and then you know um, um, uh, you know the the sort of the sort of big dynamic change in, in, in all of these things, but you're right, it's a story unfinished uh, that will probably require another you know another two or three hour documentary. Um, Ten years from now, yeah.
0: it, it's it. I mean, it's 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 really an unbelievably rich and textured life that he's had, and it's warts and all. It's not like a like they're they're building a temple to the guy. No, yeah, they really they lay uh, out
1: Tiger's Tiger's dad, and, and again, I remember I remember watching, and his dad would be there, you know. But his dad passed yeah. away quite some time ago. But if you go back for, for, far enough, uh, I remember that episode. of I, I, I don't remember what it is. It, it's either, it was either Mike Douglas or Merv Griffin. Uh, yep. uh, and, and little bitty tiny tiger, uh, you know, and 1970, whatever it would have been. Yeah. I remember watching that episode of that show, uh, and stuff. You know, what they, there's one thing though that, that, that bugged me a little bit in the documentary. They never mention the great black author Calvin Pete. They sort of frame it as though Tiger yeah. was the first, like, no, <laughs> there, there, were, there were actually a number of relatively, but, but Calvin T was yeah. the first one, you know, in the television yeah. and they just don't, they don't mention him anyway, whatever. That's just a thing.
0: Yeah. Well, and then we also had last on the docks is summertime. Oh yeah. It's funny, Tim, Tim, you have, you yourself have, uh, have directed and, uh, and produced a, a spoken word, yeah. uh, documentary. Yeah. And and this reminded me a lot of it, and I, I don't want to say that yours is better. But, but, um, That's not, I actually, but, I, but I actually rather enjoyed that film. There, summertime's very yeah. good. It's very good. This is this is um, this is a, a rather amazing editing job, frankly. That that you're able to follow 27 different kind of slam poets over the course of one day, mm. and it's uh, it does a great job of juggling all these different stories. Um, and, and putting them all together. It's, it's really quite great. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it's funny. There's a, there's a poll quote on here, a wonderful, wonderful movie from KPCC. I'm like, who are they quoting there? Cause, uh, it's not saying film week, but I know that was on film yeah. week. So who was it that said that? I'm trying to figure out which one of our colleagues. Uh, that probably, but, that probably um, was me uh but it's really it is it is really really great it's a wonderful tapestry and all the different lives and the different ways of of of, of doing spoken word it's 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 pretty it. Yeah. Like and, and the thing that i love about that
1: film and I'm not kidding that probably is me um yeah. if you if, because if, I, I, I covered that uh, that day and uh and, and 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 uh, the thing about that film is it, it, it travels all over la it starts in all Venice it travels all over and i just love that and it, look, i i know that it's Te- it's technically not a musical, but a lot of times somebody's either rapping or singing, or, or, or yeah. and so there's there's this music or dancing, this beautiful sequence with these girls all dressed in red, you know. And I know all of these places; these are places that we know. We know all of these places. You know, if you and I watch this movie, it's kind of like, and you know, and not that you have to compare them, but but I far and away like that movie better than um, uh, uh, in the Heights, which was a perfectly fine movie, but but, yeah. but they're kind of like the same thing. Um. Yeah. Um. Uh. But you know, so one's technically a musical. That's almost not a musical. But I just, I just love that movie. I, I, I deal with
0: it. Well, there's a wonderful audio commentary on here as well, and and a bunch of little featurettes, and and a, and a kind of a behind the scenes uh, doc, which I think is weird to do a behind the scenes doc on a doc, because yeah. docs are kind of their own making of. But whatever, it's it's fine. But the, uh, the 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 audio commentary with the director and cast is pretty great. And the director we should point out is Carlos Lopez Estrada. Who also did Raya and the Last yeah. Dragon. So, you know, a lot of diversity in, in, in what he does uh, as a filmmaker from, you know... I mean, those are not even close to the same yeah. genre, documentary, and, you know, animated. Um, and then let me let me blow through some uh, Warner Archive stuff here. Warner Archive just keeps... They, they keep unloading their stuff. It's all on Blu-ray now. We're not doing anything else on DVD. And, man, they are just doing some amazing stuff. So it's all over the map, all over the decades... But it's all memorable. Night shift for crying Oh
1: my god, one of my favorite movies. Ron Howard on the Dude, planet. I, you know,
0: it's uh, this was Ron Howard when he made light, bouncy, kind of really fun movies. Henry Winkler, Michael Keaton, Shelley oh my Long. God. Um, a score by Burton Bacharach of all things. Um, this movie is so much fun, and it's just it, it's you know it's like the Shelly Long. I mean, how do you take prostitution with a
1: with with uh, you know a, a hitman and, and at least oh. one death? That early scene in the movie when the guy goes out of the thing and it's totally. a, and th- there's a scene with Shelly Long. In that bathroom with Henry Winkler in those panties and those, and it's just—I, I, 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 yeah, I, that's you could, they would not allow you to do that. He has to go up, has to reach up into no. the cat. They won't, you can't do that anymore. And that is, it, and it is what is obscene is that you can't do that anymore. I suppose you can. You can do whatever the hell you want. in yeah. America. Uh, you, you know what I mean? But but that scene was was this, was just absolutely extraordinarily wonderful, uncontroversial scene. And a narrative with pips and hoes and all this stuff, oh, particularly so, not so in a good. black exploitation film, uh, yeah. where the top hoes is like this, this is really, it's, oh, Shelley Long was so beautiful, it's insane. Yeah. So good. Uh, 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 yeah. So, you know, I'm like, this is, this is really sort of really cool stuff. Is it, is it kind of edgy? Well, to be honest, at the time, I certainly
0: didn't think so.
1: You know what this mean no. see this movie? Funny ass, funny yes. ass Michael Keaton movie.
0: It's a, it that, and that's what it was, and that's what it is, and that's what it will help. Forever. Yeah, you know,
1: but if you want to call it itchy, I guess you can, can if you want, but it was hysterically funny and so sweet. So, you know, uh, you dinner
0: do? dinner at eight. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, end of the show, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to let Tim go, and then I'm going to, I'm going to lay out a bunch of new anime. Okay. We've, uh, we've, we've got a bunch of anime stored up, so I'm going to be hitting the anime at the end of the show. Um, we got Dinner at Eight. Dinner at Eight is unbelievably stacked with talent. This is a 1933 uh, George Cukor mm-hmm. film that has so much talent, it blows my mind. Unbelievable. Yeah. They take a George S. Kaufman and Edna Ferber stage play, which is already elite right there. Mm-hmm. You you put it in the hands of George Cukor directing, David O. Selznick producing. Uh, you have a screenplay... Co-written mm. by Francis Marion and Herman Mankiewicz, yeah. the Mank of the recent film Mank, who would you know go on to do uh, to, to co-write Citizen mm. Kane, with additional dialogue by Donald Ogden Stewart. And then who are we gonna put in this thing? Uh, mm. the, <laughs> just just John John Barrymore and Lionel Barrymore and <sighs> and, Jean Harlow uh, and know, Walls, Gene Harlow and you Gene Herschel. I mean, Walls, Be- yeah, Walls Berry. Yeah. I mean, you know, Billy oh, Burke. Yeah. It's like, holy cow, how much classic Hollywood talent can you jam into a single oh. movie? It's incredible. It's so much fun. Uh, it's just really, really great. It all takes place, you know, at a very elite kind of party in New York. And um, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful artifact of an amazing period in time. And it's one of George Cooper's very, very mm. best and most legendary films. Uh, Children of the Damned. Oh yeah. Uh, real creepy. Uh, just real creepy film. Still super creepy. Uh, they've tried to remake this, and not very well. This is from 1963. Very much a, uh, a Cold War post-nuclear uh, cautionary tale in the kind of pseudo-exploitation vein of uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, all kids from all around the world, all living in England, and they all have weird psychic powers and high IQs. And where did they come from? Man, is this weird! Mm. Uh, and just gives me chills to this day. But uh, it's a, it's still a great film, and uh, I highly recommend it, especially at Halloween time because boy, it's going to scare the daylights yeah, out of yeah. you. Um, got a, got a uh, let's let me pull a couple of these here. These are. Uh, some older uh, let's see yeah I'll just do these two first uh, Mary Stevens MD is an old Vitaphone Warner Brothers uh, film with uh, Thelma Todd and uh, Kay Francis it's, it's fine it's, uh, it's sort of classic melodrama of the period directed by Lloyd Bacon who uh, did a lot of the early Busby Berkeley films mm. Uh, kind of their one of their more reliable directors of the uh, of the 1930s. This is 1933. Yeah. Probably one of like five films that Lloyd Bacon directed that year. Uh, in any, any place, any any case, uh, Thelma Todd, oh, yeah. really significant figure because Thelma Todd died yeah. young. She was murdered uh, in a location that I drive by every day. Mm. It's about you know, two miles from my house. It's right on Pacific Coast Highway. It was a restaurant uh, that was hers. It was known as Thelma Todd's. They did a Lonnie Anderson TV movie about the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Lonnie Anderson Mm -hmm. played Thelma Todd, way too old to be playing her. But um, it's still there. And the building is still there. It's protected. And you can go and see the stairs right behind it where Thelma Todd was found Mm -hmm. dead. The whole thing is creepy. So it's always important to see a a Thelma Todd movie and to remember Mm -hmm. the the history that goes behind it. Anyway, based on a novel by Virginia Kellogg, directed by Lloyd Bacon. There it is, uh, 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 Mary Stevens, MD. Basically, it's it's you know it's a Kay Francis movie, yeah. but Thelma Todd is significant figure yeah. in it. Mad Love with Peter Lorre. Uh This was an MGM film. It was totally unlike any other MGM films of the period. This is 1935. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, based on uh, on a. On a creepy, creepy novel that I will never, never uh, read. Directed by Carl Freund. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a lot of German expressionism going on in it. But uh, this is the first English language film that Peter Lorre made. He'd come from Germany and making things like M. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is is uh, he, he plays a, uh, a an evil plastic surgeon. Just saying, before there was nip-tuck, <laughs> there was this uh so uh it you know you're basically watching this to watch Peter Laurie just do what he does best and he's got a Oh yeah that those, that those really Wait, exactly.
1: people have seen those sort of stark black and love like, with that high feel off the top of that oh that uh, that head there yeah.
0: Yeah. So, let me see here. Uh, let's, let's, let's do a couple of horse things here. I'm trying to get through this a little quicker. Uh, The Naked Spur with James Stewart and Janet Lee, uh, also starring Robert Ryan. Uh, you know, this is just a good James Stewart Western from the 1950s. Mm-hmm. They're making these things left and right. Uh, see it, see it for the, you know, it's, it, see it because it's it's anthony yeah. Mann directing jim stewart in a western yeah. I, I don't know what and else Janet Lee. It's,
1: it's, it's fine as hell and jim, it's good
0: it's a good solid western and it's it's very nicely transferred we also have a young talk you know, earlier about uh child stars and oh yeah being able to make a migration uh when we're talking you know elizabeth taylor and national oh, Velvet. Yeah. also along with mickey rooney both of them you know uh child stars that 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 made good and uh, Mickey Rooney was already on his way from being a younger star and all the stuff with Judy Garland to, uh, to you know, maturing into adult roles. Uh, this is Elizabeth Taylor as a young girl, and and she's getting ready to make the the move into adult roles as well. And look, it's Elizabeth Taylor and a yeah. horse. I'm yeah. sorry, it's it's great melodrama, really fun. Uh, 1944, and uh, it's just a classic film, National Velvet. Mark's Brothers and a Night at the Opera, one of my all-time favorites, uh, when Harpo, like, bats that baseball with the violin. It's one of the funniest laughs I've ever seen in a movie. Love this thing. It's classic Marx Brothers, directed by Sam Wood. Brilliant. Commentary by our good friend Leonard Maltin, uh, which is wonderful. Leonard just absolutely slays it. It tells stuff that I didn't even know. It's amazing. Uh, there's documentary Remarks on Marks there's some stuff from uh, television with Groucho and Vintage Shorts and it's just really really great I especially like Sunday Night at the Truckadero and Robert Benchley's Academy Award winning How to Sleep Uh, those are great great shorts you got Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland and Santa Fe Trail again this is you know directed by uh, 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 by uh, Michael Curtiz Uh, it's just this is the star power here it's just pure classic Hollywood star power from, uh, 1940. Yeah. <coughs> Great film, classic Errol Flynn picture. It's, you know, I don't know what else to tell you about it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a George Custer yeah. thing. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, uh, who plays Custer? Ronald yeah. Reagan. There yeah. you go. Ronald Reagan plays Custer. <laughs> uh, there's, there's some, there's some, there's some novel stuff in that. Uh, I have the devil. I had never actually seen before. Eye of the Devil is one of those uh, creepy chillers from the late 1960s where they were trying to make things at the studio level that were a little bit exploitation. Yeah, well, of and course, you know, Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate mm-hmm. is in this, Deborah Carr, Donald Pleasance, David Niven, uh, David Hemmings. It's a great cast. It's based on a, a novel called Day of the Arrow by Philip Lorraine. Mm-hmm. And uh it was directed by J. Lee Thompson. Mm-hmm. And so it's got real credentials and yet it feels kind of really low budget, creepy, gothic, yeah. horrory. And um the whole thing takes place around this French chateau and these these vineyards and um there are um, occult happenings going on that, as they always do, whenever you get into these very sophisticated. Like Get Out was kind <laughs> yeah. of riffing on this to us to a significant degree. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, of of, Eye of the Devil and Get Out. There's a lot of Wicker Man kind of split between them. You know, anytime you you get to a place where everyone, you could even say, uh, uh, um, uh, what was the uh, the follow up to uh, Shaun of the Dead? The one with the with the where where they go into the countryside and everybody's got guts. Oh yeah, yeah. Was
1: that? was that the end? I can't. Remember. Uh, I can't. Remember. Not not uh-huh. the
0: end, but uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, oh, oh, oh oh gosh, it's one where he's always talking about bad boys. Uh, <sighs> title is a oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sure our yeah. listeners are losing right. their minds right, right now. We're but anyway, it's kind of a similar thing where where you where you go to Hot Fuzz. Oh, Hot things. Fuzz. Yeah. Hot Fuzz where you go into a place where everything is supposed to be right and it's it's utterly wrong rosemary's Rosemary's baby baby.
1: wicker man anytime there's going to be a there's a pagan what's his name does those movies now i was gonna
0: midsummer is is is, yeah is 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 like that too it's like oh what a lovely place no not (laughs) really yeah Give, give it time give it time uh, we've got, uh, Richard Dick. We got a, a double feature here by of Val Luton films Richard Dix in The Ghost Ship and Boris Karloff in Bedlam. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, neither of these are all that great, but if you're a fan of Val yeah. Luton, you, you'll, 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 you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Val Luton, Val Luton, of course, pro- produced these, both of them directed by Mark mm-hmm. Robson. Uh, and, uh, you know, they are, Val Luton, I mean, but again, Mark Robson is just kind of on board as the, director in name, Val Lewton, like David Selznick, very much a, a producer who imposed his, uh, his sensibilities on things. So Val Lewton kind of a, a, an epic classic genre. Yeah. Cat people, genre, great genre person. So a couple of kind of underrated, uh, Val Lewton pictures, the ghost ship and bedlam, not terrible, but not great either. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, straight time. Oh yeah. His thing. One of his tougher, better, grittier performances, uh, from uh, like nineteen seventy eight, I think this was. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he's 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 kind of going back to Ratso Rizzo a little bit in this, but um, it's it's a really good, tough, gritty, gritty film. Gritty character, young Teresa Russell looks amazing in this. Gary Busey, young mm. Gary Busey, Harry Dean Stanton.
1: It was meant to be. Uh, Dustin's uh, and it is the only film that he ever directed. He he, he but Uli Grossbard uh, had came in and, and, and. Oh, Dustin was supposed to. direct Dustin it. did direct this mostly. Oh, uh, he, he, how did he, get he, uh, because Dustin uh, fired himself. He quit. He couldn't do it, oh uh, and uh, so 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 uh, the, that it was this moment when a few. I think Jack Nicholson had made a film. Jack Nicholson only ended up directing two, but Dustin Dustin uh, started. Out as director on this film, and, uh, and and realized that he was no director, and he never directed again.
0: Wow! Well, I'll tell you, actually, did he did, direct, did, he did direct something a few years ago,
1: didn't he? Uh, uh, if I am not mistaken, but, but
0: oh yeah, he may have, it may, maybe uh, it just some, just yeah. saw, like in,
1: in the last five, six, seven years, and so it was this and well, that.
0: I am sure all of that is on the commentary. There's commentary here with uh, Hoffman and Grossbard that I did not have a chance to listen to, but I am sure that is all recounted there. Yeah,
1: Quartet back um, in 2012, Yeah. That's right, I remember that. And this in 78, yeah, interesting.
0: We've got more uh, fantastic Droopy and other Tex Avery shorts on Tex Avery Screwball Classics Volume 3. just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, There are just, I mean, I I wish they had released all these things at the same time, but Deputy Droopy, I'm so thrilled to finally have that on Blu-ray. And and Deputy Droopy is just one of the funniest bits of animation ever created. That is here on Volume 3. Uh, just a few others here to, to pound through. The legendary The Last of Sheila. This is worth mentioning again with West Side Story coming out. Yeah. Why? Because this screenplay is the only screenplay ever written or co-written by Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. This is a fantastic kind of crazy whodunit thriller that just is, is one of the great screenplays of all time. It's a little bit dated. It was made in the early, 30, early 70s, 73. Mm-hmm. So the clothes, the sound, the yeah, look, the film stock, it all looks really dated. But Richard but, Benjamin man, what a,
1: at his at the height of his, you know. I you know, know,
0: what you know. What a great, know. I mean, but what a great script. Written by Steven Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. Perkins of all people, yeah. Like that's, and, and I mean, if you think about great screenplays, I'm not necessarily putting those two together no, on it. No. But what a what fascinating uh, – produced and directed by Herbert Ross, Ross, normally a musical guy, of course, funny funny lady and footloose and stuff like that. But a uh, theme song sung by Bette Midler mm-hmm. and a cast that includes Richard Benjamin, mm-hmm. Diane Cannon, mm-hmm. James Mason, Raquel Welch, Ian McShane. Really young. Uh, James yeah, Colbert. He's so young. Uh, so phenomenal. I mean, a great cast. Really, really terrific. So uh, before you get too hung up on some of these new – New whodunits and and, uh, the new thrillers, they're all kind of trying to emulate this. It's very, very Agatha Christie-ish, but I'd almost say even better. So The Last of Sheila, man, it's a really terrific movie. I love that movie. Um, We've got uh, Sylvia Sidney and Spencer Tracy in Fury, co-starring Walter Brennan. I can't ever say Walter Brennan's (laughs) name without thinking of uh, the guy in Good Morning Vietnam and laughing about it. But uh, this is uh, this is a pretty great American film by Fritz Long. I still think Fritz Long did better German films than American mm. films. But you know a lot of a lot of great uh, power here. Fritz Long co-wrote it with uh, Bartlett Cormac, produced by Joe Mankowitz, uh, you know the other Mankowitz. and mm. uh, it's 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 a pretty good, tough, hard-boiled um, American kind of pseudo noir. Mm-hmm. Um, It has a lot to say about the justice system and uh, which was, you know, already really being challenged at the time and and how it was uh, not dispensing justice necessarily impartially. Um, You know, the the whole concept of of mob justice, very, very much a part Mm -hmm. of this great commentary by Peter Bogdanovich. Who gives you all the backstory on this? It's a really, really, I mean, amazing historical context to this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a good solid film. Again, not you know, as a, in terms of directing, I think Fritz Long's kind of a hired hand, mm. but Spencer Tracy's terrific, and uh, it's all yeah,
1: good. it's kind of, kind of, kind of uh, a little bit pre, pre more gangster than noir, but still it has that look. More gang, that's
0: it. It's it's more gangster than it's kind of like between the two. Yeah, genres a little yeah. bit. Then we've got uh, "Some Came Running" with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Shirley MacLaine. Love this movie; Mm -hmm. so much fun. Directed by Vincent Minnelli in his prime, uh, late 1950s, and uh, it's just this is just absolutely terrific. Um, You know, it's it's a melodrama. It's it's uh, but it's just it it has that like late 50s kind of Douglas Sirkian melodrama feel to it without being syrupy. Vincent Minnelli always brought kind of a, a shiny disposition to a lot of these things. There's always a, a, a sunny side to the yeah. things. Based on a James Jones novel, James Jones, who, of course, wrote uh, Thin Red Line and From Here to Eternity, mm-hmm. and, and, and it has certainly his larger-than-life sensibility to it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Shirley MacLaine playing this this you know vulnerable young girl as she did, it was just absolutely wonderful. I love it. It's a really, really great, yeah. great melodrama from the period. Oh, my God, yeah. Last two here: uh, Barbara Stanwyck and ladies. They talk about uh, not exactly one of her more famous parts. This is a 1933 pre-code, just barely pre-code, uh, and uh, this is also kind of a you know a, a prison melodrama sorts, I guess maybe the way to put it, um, but it's all about uh, you know. Um, bad girls and bad men and being able to redeem yourself, uh, when society and, and yeah. prison deal you a deal, you a bad, a bad card. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's like a step above the poverty row mm-hmm. films and the usual crime films of the, of the eras. And Stanwyck is very, very good. And then lastly, the window, which was an RKO film from, uh, 1949. When RKO was really kind of trying to establish its its style and its brand, and you know how how are we different from Warner Brothers? How are we different from MGM? How are we different from Columbia? And uh, I'm not quite sure that this really does it. It still feels now that it's part of the Warner Library. It still feels almost more like a Warner Brothers film. But um, when you when you when you look at it, you're like, well, okay, RKO had a. A slightly different take on noir. Mm. Um, it, it's a little bit more humanistic. You know, there's a, there's a kid angle here. Um, it's a little bit more sort of you know, it's about basically about a, a this kid. It's it's the uh, you know the, the boy that cried yeah. kind of taken to a noir level, and uh, the fact that it's all being kind of filtered through the eyes of this boy who claims that he saw murder that nobody believes. That actually kind of it softens it and gives a little bit more of a humanistic element to it. Barbara Hale, uh, of
1: course, uh, before... uh, Barbara Hale, Bobby Driscoll, um, or what, Perry Mason, before Perry Mason. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. So, The Window, very interesting uh, kind of uh, RKO take on noir at the time all right there we go uh tim what what, what uh, where should we go
1: next? i'm we gonna go. cheat and pop over to the 4ks uh Do it. It. So, so, so final fantasy uh oh my are, gosh. man 2000 2020 years uh final fantasy uh, i imagine there has to be some interesting uh stuff on that yeah uh,
0: uh, two two commentaries, outtakes, uh, mat art explorations, uh, an interactive documentary, and digital movie code for uh, movies. anyway. Mm, yeah, um,
1: Baldwin, one of the voices there, of course. Steve, yeah. Steve uh Interesting, man. I don't know. Final Fantasy at the time took a kind of a beating, critically speaking. But over the years, it seems to have become, you know, a sort of a sort of anime of some repute. I mean, or yeah, am I reading that wrong?
0: I it, I I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, uh, watch this for just a little bit, just to kind of get a sense of the, the the HDR on it, which looks I don't know if it looks great or not. I mean, it's because it's so photorealistic. Mm. It's it's tough to sort of it doesn't you know like like what would this look like if it were live action, and I I don't know. So I mean, you know that it it just photorealism makes it hard to judge versus actual photography versus actual CG. Mm-hmm. You know, it's some, it kind of tries to split the difference between the two to such a degree that it, that I, I, I'm kind of lost as to what the whole deal is but anyway you know clearly this thing has a massive following. yeah
1: yeah yeah for a moment that was the thing the the, the uh the suicide squad the oh, suicide squad right yeah what a mess I yeah. uh, look james gunn uh, out of st louis so you know one of my people uh but that movie just i'm sorry was just all over the place and uh, you know and you know mcguffins galore uh but somehow the the point of the movie became the mcguffins
0: um, um,
1: and I, it, yeah. and so anyway, I, yeah, but what, what, what
0: did you think? I, I hated the first one. Uh, I don't know that I, you know, I, I, people keep saying like, well, wait and see the David Ayer cut. The David Ayer cut will show up one day. It's like, oh, okay, maybe it will. But <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I still don't think I like the characters. I don't like the premise. <laughs> no, I don't like I, the characters. I'm more convinced. I'm more convinced than ever that the problem here is the premise because, you know, they, they've swapped a lot of characters out and brought some new characters in, you know, Will Smith isn't here anymore. Um, but they brought John Cena and, and, um, uh, and Idris Elba in playing new characters and, you know, and, 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 it's it just, I mean, it's just like okay, yeah. We still have Harley Quinn; yeah. she's she's back, and she steals the movie. She's got an amazing. I mean, the best part of the movie is is this like insane scene where she just rips through people like a knife through mm. cheese. But um, look, you know, they've also added King Shark. Yeah. Well, you know, King Shark here—that's where he gives it away. James Gunn is basically just substituting DC characters for the Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy. King Shark is 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 basically Groot. Yeah. You know, let's say I don't have Groot. Okay, I'm going to use King Shark, but I'm my King Shark is the King Shark from the Flash TV show which is huge and menacing and muscle bound. And here he's just a big oaf that like, and and and
1: a and, and MacGuffin, as is Pete Davidson's character as, totally. is, as oh, is Michael was, Rooker's yeah. character. You know, they're just these, you know, the, and, yeah. and, 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 and I'm like, really, is that what we're actually doing? Yeah, know.
0: You know, uh, and uh, so, so, so and- lots of look, does it doesn't look great. I guess, uh, I mean, it's got a lot of CG. I don't think the 4k necessarily serves the CG very well, to be honest. I think it kind of exposes it. Uh, in a bad way. Um, I had a harder time sort of seeing the seams uh, when I saw it projected. So in this case, I got a, it's maybe I sat too close to (laughs) the TV anyway. Gag reel, deleted Uh, scenes, extended scenes, all kinds of featurettes on here, um, behind the scenes stuff. None of, and the director's commentary, which I did not listen to. None of which will be interesting unless you like the movie, which I don't. Uh, The Hills Have Eyes uh, from, uh, from Arrow be the old Wes Craven classic. So it's, oh, that I one. Tell you, I was like, yeah, the original Hilltop okay. Eyes. Michael Berryman and his freaking crazy weird yeah. head. Um, the, the, the original, uh, you know, Cannibal Hillbilly capturing the, the the motorists movie. So, look, here's the thing. Tons of extras I can't even get into. It's like there's a commentary with Wes Craven and Peter Locke. I couldn't even listen mm. to it. Another one with uh, Michael Coven. Didn't have time to listen to it. Gobs of interviews. I watched a couple of them. The the one with uh, uh, composer Don Peake is really interesting. To be honest, like really fascinating about the score. Uh, there's an alternate ending. Oh. There's like all there's so much stuff on here. A forty page booklet. Everything that you ever want to know and a lot of stuff that you didn't about the Hills Have Eyes. But here's the thing. My big question was: This was a low budget Wes Craven exploitation mm. horror film at the mm. time. How is this? I mean, does this the film that was shot in like a minute and a half on you know 35 millimeter film how is this going to look in a 4k deluxe transfer with hdr is it going to show me all, those, all those, the flaws yeah. no way yeah. man i'll tell you this film looks better than yeah. ever they don't make it look too pretty they let it still be gritty but i, I felt like i was watching it project that's fantastic it's really really it's really really good uh candy man the new Candyman. Yeah. Jordan Peele produced Candyman. Did this? Did this need to happen? Uh, well, no, not,
1: not not so far as I was concerned. And 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 while I, underst- I understand how they wanted to sort of um re- re- reset it, uh, not 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 physically, it's still in Chicago, uh, but want to want to reset it culturally because uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff in this movie about about gentrification. Um, uh, all of that was a little too obvious for me. And I gotta tell you the thing about the, the, the first Canterman movie, the the, the wonderful t- Tony Todd, of course, I remember doing the, I did the junket for that film and, and interviewed him. And, and it was kind of an, it was kind of an interesting sort of, sort of adaptation of all that. Bernard Rose adapting all of that. And, you know, like all that, yeah. you know, all of that thing, of thing into the mirror, and, you know, say his name, this many, but Bernard Rose came up with all of that. That was not in the book. That's a Clive Barker. That's an adaptation of a Clive Barker. Interesting uh, uh, thing, and it, it that was all that was all Bernard. Rose that was stuff. all Bernard Rose stuff. You know, the, the, that, the other film Candyman wasn't black. He was all it was all in London, of course, because you know, but, yeah, uh, and all that stuff. So, so uh, all of that sort of urban myth stuff is actually the creation of Bernard Rose in in the middle nineties. Uh,
0: wow! Uh, and I had no idea. So
1: you know, it's, 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 it's so solid. It's a sort of interesting sort of thing. But I don't. All of that is more interesting to me than uh, the sort of new story imposed in this film. That really has to do with gentrification and and um, and uh, you know, whatever. I, I could live without out that. I, I'm I'm you know, um, uh, the horror for the for the horror's sake is my favorite kind of horror. Uh, horror that happens to have interwoven within it some some uh, yeah, some sort of notion uh, about whatever uh, relevant thing is it, it, it's, 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 it's fine, um, but it really needs to hide that stuff from me if I can see it. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, uh, the new Halloween film do, uh, does that. It wants to make this some sort of commentary about the reason for Michael Myers and you know blah blah yeah. blah, blah I'm like, yeah, no, that's yeah, bullshit. <laughs> you know, Michael Myers is just a fucking supernatural fucker who's been you know on a killing spree for 40 yeah. years. <laughs> that's all it is, and that's all it needs to be. And I and I would prefer uh, Candyman. You know, just, just just Candyman. That's all you say is you say the name. He comes out. He kills everybody. That's it.
0: So, I'm a big fan of Henry Golding. Okay. I love Henry Golding. I think Henry Golding is mad talented. Uh, when he kind of burst on the scene in Crazy Rich Asians, I was, I'm like, this guy can do anything. Stick him in anything. I'll, I'm will i there. He's charismatic. He's funny. He's romantic. He's good looking. I bet he's got range like nobody's Man. business. And he does, but he should not have made Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. Uh, this is not his no. fault. It's just that, you know, the whole G.I. The, the attempt to repeatedly try to force a G.I. Joe universe on us by Paramount is fraught. And uh, this is just not a good film. It's not well-written. I mean, does it look great on 4K? I guess, you know, I mean, it's, it's high budget and it's got, you know, CGI galore and action sequences, but it's just not a very interesting world. These are toys and they're never going to make these, these G.I. Joe. They they think they can
1: somehow force it into being the Transformers franchise. Uh, yeah, uh, but but but, but no, uh, uh, it, it, there is no such thing as a GI Joe franchise. They tried to make it funny the first time around with with one of those one, one <laughs> of those Wayans brothers, you know. Telling yeah. This time they tried to make it sort of serious and dark, and uh, and no, it's over. Cut it out.
0: I will say this, and I, I'm going to keep preaching this to everybody. Henry Golding. Yeah should be Simon Templar. He should play the, the saint. saint with Whoever has the franchise for the saint, cast Henry Golding. And let me explain this to you because we keep talking about things like, oh, James Bond. Could James Bond be a woman? Could James Bond be black? Could James Bond, well, he's been Scottish and he'll probably be Scottish again because they're going to take that guy from Outlander. I swear the guy from yeah. Outlander is going to be the next yeah. James Bond. You heard yeah. it here. But, But here's the thing. Look, Simon Templar, the Saint, originally played by Roger yeah. Moore, based on the on the Leslie Charteris book. Uh, yeah, yeah Val Kilmer did okay. the movie, but you know, Val Kilmer yeah. did it and they, and they're doing it again with an American. The one thing, the one freaking thing that Simon Templar cannot be is American. Yeah. He has to yeah. be British. But can he be British and yeah. Asian or half Asian? Yeah. Well, yes he can. Yeah. Do you know why? Because Leslie Charteris, who created Simon Templar, was half Chinese. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Leslie Charteris's mom, Chinese. So there you go. Leslie Charteris would love the idea. Leslie Charteris, sitting in heaven, Maybe in hell. <laughs> I don't know wherever he is. But wherever Leslie Charteris is, somewhere in the universe, if you cast Henry Golding as Simon Templar, it would make him very, very, very happy. happy. So there yeah.
1: you go. And he needs a good one, too, uh, uh, Henry. Uh, 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 he does. That, you know, if,
0: if, if not a series, certainly. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's born to play Simon yeah. Templar, dude. You could Great have a voice. franchise. You could let. Oh, he could play all, everything that Roger Moore did well on the TV series. Yeah. Golding could do tenfold. He is, he's a thousand times the actor that, that Roger, he has more charm. He has more, more kind of a wily instincts. Oh, so he'd be so much better. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got a couple of DC, uh, animated yeah. movies here. DC. Well, one is it, I look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the difference in the branding. Mm. So I'm just going to say this right up. Batman year one in a commemorative edition. Yeah. Animated is a DC Universe movie on 4K. Injustice mm-hmm. is a DC animated mm-hmm. movie. They are very clear that these things are mm-hmm. different. I do not understand the difference in the branding. I really don't. Uh, but they're both very good. I think uh, you know Batman Year One is is fine. Uh, it, it it's you know it it, it dates kind of. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't blow me away. We've done so much with Batman. It doesn't feel like this is really stretching or doing anything significantly different uh, from what we're really accustomed to. Um, you know, it's like, you know, Bruce Wayne has been running around not being Batman for a while and he comes back and everything kind of falls into place again, as, as it did before Catwoman shows up. There's nothing really, really novel about it, but a lot of people love this. However, Injustice is is very, very interesting from a story standpoint and um the, the here you know it's it, the the justice league is at odds with itself and you know joker has this master plan to kind of screw everything up and um you know superman is kind of lost his mind and it's all it's all it's all very melodramatic and soapy and <laughs> kind of but 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 i'll yeah. i'll tell you this it's it's really interesting everything that they do in it um, is exactly what was done in the graphic novel of the same name. So it brings all of these really mm-hmm. interesting story elements together. It's quite impressive. It's very kind of alternate universe DC stuff. So that's why I I, I can vouch for Injustice, which also has some, some uh, really, really interesting special and features voices. on the Blu-ray, um, a thing called Adventures in Storytelling, Injustice, Crisis, and Conflict, and then some bonus cartoons. Yeah. And then last in the 4K, uh, Tim, Maniac Cop 2 and 3. Ooh. Maniac Cop, the original, has already been released. Yeah. Hey, uh, so they've decided to go 4K with the rest of the trilogy, yeah. um, uh, which kind of surprises me. This is from Blue Underground. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Maniac yeah. Cop, did we really need a, a 4K trilogy of Maniac Cop? Oh, yeah, Cop? I think you do. I think you do. Bill Lustig made these yeah. films. Yeah. Um, Larry, Larry and, uh, Cohen uh, wrote the first one anyway. Yes, and uh, Larry Cohen also wrote and produced the second one. But here, the the thing that I find so interesting about this is that that Maniac Cop Three, which I'm fairly which which was also written by Larry Cohen and produced by Larry Cohen, I'm I'm fairly confident that this was still directed by Bill Lustig, Mm. but the the direction credit is Alan Smithy. Oh well, so 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 I'm I'm thinking that maybe the film was taken away from him. And Larry Cohen went a little crazy on it. I don't know. Uh, hard to know. I think they're all kind of the same. I don't. I don't think Maniac Cop Three is. Is I mean, I don't think any of them are very good. But I don't think Three is so much worse than One and Two that someone needed to take an Alan Smith.
1: Well, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Don't uh, know. IMDb. William plus a guy named Joel Joel Soyerson. Uh, who's going yeah. on credit and you know with Larry there and I and, you know, I don't know what that that first movie is eighty-eight, the the, uh, the 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 second one was ninety, this one was ninety-two, you know. Uh and you're yeah. right, they're all literally the same movie. Uh this one the three had Robert Davi in it and, and he saw a, he sort of took it up a notch. because you know, Robert Robert yeah. Davi was a good actor, you know, particularly, you know, back in the early night and a few people, stuff like that. But basically it was all about that big face actor, uh, you know, Robert Desar. Um, who, who, oh, had, yeah, with the jaw the jaw. And, and that was his actual face. And, uh, he, you know, he passed back in 2015 and I, I, uh, I, I just always thought, you know, you know what, if you got that face, you know what, I'm going to be a movie star. Uh, I'm going to play a villain. And he did it in a whole crap load of movies.
0: Uh, I met, I met Robert yeah? Zadar. Oh. I was a production, I was a production assistant on the legend of Wolf Mountain the LA unit oh. because it shot out of LA for the rest of it, the LA unit. I'll tell the, the rest of the story again someday. I'm, I'm sure I told this like 20 years ago, but, but man, what a, <laughs> what, a uh, <coughs> what a wild experience that was. Anyway, Robert Zadar was, uh, was one of the actors on that oh. crazy thing. Boy, what an, what a ridiculous unprofessional movie. <laughs> it really, really was. Uh, I mean, I mean, truly like, yeah, I'll just share this. Like, you know, Tim, when you shoot in a movie, you need to have a, a, a somebody. You you need to have a script supervisor, yeah. right? Yeah. Keeping track for the editor so that yeah. you know your paperwork's in order. When you invent an LA unit to shoot stuff for no particularly good reason, and there is no script supervisor, and one of the producers is directing the LA unit to build his own reel and the <laughs> other producer and the other producer basically has a little folded piece of paper from his back pocket. And he's keeping track of what you're shooting. He's doing the script supervisor uh-huh. thing. I'm sorry. Like student films don't. Even, it's
1: it's, not gonna turn it's this like, is not gonna turn like,
0: like, like spend, spend a buck 50, get yourself somebody to do it right. I mean, really not, not just like, Oh, this scene too. Oh That's gosh. Funny. Horrible. Oh my uh, Let's do some new movies real okay. quick. Man of God. Did you see Man of God with uh, Elijah Wood? Uh, no, I did
1: not see Man of God. So how? So so, so how? Uh,
0: you know this is a this is a Ted Bundy
1: thing. Oh, uh, oh, oh you... I might have seen that. I actually, now that yeah. you mention it, I think I did see that. Because it's not really about. Uh, uh, it's about the guy who's playing it's about it's the file
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, Elijah Wood is the profiler. Um, really, really interesting. I mean, it's, it's about the relationship specifically. Uh, and it gets into serial killer psychology and all that stuff, but very, very interesting. Elijah Wood and Luke Kirby yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Ted Bundy, the, the guy who was supposed to get, to, like, they like pull the truth out of Ted Bundy. So it's a little bit of a chess match between two guys, psychology and all that stuff. Very interesting. Not like all that TV profiler stuff, which is very, like, you know, Kind of hackneyed and, and forced. This is very interesting, very true to yeah, life. Yeah, well, he's a real, um, he was a real guy.
1: And he was—he was, he was. I think he was like the first FBI profiler, and, and you know, and uh, it's—it it it was really, really very interesting. interesting
0: yeah, yeah, really, very interesting. We also have uh, Spirit Quest, which is uh, which is a pretty fun little comedy from uh, Gravitas uh, Ventures. Gravitas releases a ton of stuff. Gravitas, uh, did they just get sold? I think they just got bought by some kind of a sports film company, mm. uh, if I'm not in. I, I, I'm pretty sure just yesterday, just like yesterday, they announced this big sale. So I think Gravitas has changed hands. But, um, nonetheless, this is about, uh, a couple of guys who go to the desert to, you know, do some mushrooms and, uh, Everything kind of The the experience um, Turns into a spirit quest As per the movie mm-hmm. There you go <laughs> Kind of a drug I mean, there you go It's it's a, it's a buddy movie It's a drug trip movie um, But there's a little bit of poignancy to it as well And it still manages to be funny So, you know, kind of a, um, a slacker comedy Like uh, Link Ladder used to uh. make But uh, it's not bad Not bad at all Spirit quest on Blu-ray um Stillwater. Did you see Stillwater? Yeah, yeah, I did see Stillwater. You think I, I it think is? I think that we were all meant to
1: be to be talking about this movie, thinking about and talking about this movie right now as we as we move into awards season. Uh and but somehow it just did not seem to connect. I thought I thought Matt Damon gave a really sort of interest. He's just, he's this Oklahoma guy who has this daughter who's who's uh and uh where is it in Italy? I think in Italy. Uh, and yeah, it's based. It's based on the whole. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it, was the, Amanda. The, the thing was, the man, Amanda yeah, is playing it's the, 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 the whole thing so loosely, and, uh, and he's and um, and because she's accused of having you know committed this sort of murder, and uh, and he travels there too and ends up trying to do this whole detective thing. And it's all it's all very serious and and and, and is loosely based on that. But I tell you, there was just a, a whole lot of acting going on in this movie a whole lot of yeah. performance in this movie. And um, and, I, and I don't know, all of that just got in, in, in the way of uh, you know this, 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 uh, this loosely based on a, a true story sort of film. Um, and yeah, it, it just sort of telegraphed itself in these ways that I, that I, which I don't think we're talking about it right now.
0: So, so I think, I, uh, here's what I think. I think as an Oscar, f- a, a, a best picture follow-up for Tom McCarthy, it's really, really hard to, to you know, come out of the gate with a second one and hit a yeah. home run. Uh, so I think given that, I, I thought it was a, a very good Tom McCarthy film. I like him as a filmmaker. I think it's very much in, you know, in the, in the pocket with his body of work. I think Matt Damon's great. I think Matt Damon stands a very good chance of being Oscar nominated. It's a very rich, rich performance. And apart from that, I absolutely loved the fact that it takes place in Marseille, Marseille. in France. Yeah. Yes, it's Marseille as the background. And I love that because I lived in Marseille, so I felt like I was home again. I know just about every place that they, they shot. I'm like, is, I you chose the right city. It's beautiful. You, Notre Dame de la Garde on the hill, the whole thing. I mean, I thoroughly enjoy that. But does it all come together? Probably not, I think, for the reasons you very smartly outlined. But uh, I like the fact that there's also a, a featurette on here that goes to the locations in Marseille, and I really mm-hmm. love that. So I'm, I'm going to probably watch that more than the movie. Uh, Tim, did you see Jungle Cruise?
1: Yeah, you know, and still funny, still funny to me. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know. I mean, a lot of times we do you know, these sort of, uh, you know, these movies and things. Uh, and uh, oh, wait a minute. You know what? I'm sorry, Jungle Cruise. That's the that's that one with uh, I, you know what I was thinking of wh- wh- with Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. Going. No, this is Dwayne Johnson. Oh this is, this yeah, the fake, yeah, This is the the the, the fake African Queen
0: movie you're talking that you're talking about here. Uh, uh, so 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 here's, here, here's, here's the thing. I had a very interesting experience first seeing jungle cruise. And first of all, let me just say, let me, let me just get into the extras here because there are some, some worthwhile extras here. The, the making of jungle cruise is actually a really, really good featurette. And, uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's very slick and polished. And, and I thought it was very interesting. There are some things that it it led me to appreciate that I did probably not appreciate watching Mm. the film originally, uh, and outtakes and deleted scenes and, and some, you know, some other behind the scenes stuff, which is, which is, is all quite good and movie movies anywhere, uh, code. So got this on Blu-ray and, uh, watched the extras. Fair enough. Decided to, to, to watch a little bit of the movie again. And, um, because here was the first experience with it. I had to review it for radio oh. and for, for film week and we had family visiting and uh, Hero's little cousins were in town. And I thought, oh, Jungle Cruise. The kids all love. They love going to, to Disneyland and going on to Jungle Cruise, <laughs> which is a nice family adventure. Why don't we all together watch Jungle oh, Cruise? Terrible. My wife, my wife, her sister, her niece, the, 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 the two little cousins, you know, like everybody. Oh, we're all going to have a great time watching Jungle Cruise family thing. And I looked at it. And, of course, you know, I saw a PG-13 yeah. sequences of adventure violence. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, the kids have seen... Like, it can't be that bad. It's Jungle Cruise, Mm -hmm. you know. They've gone on the ride. We've seen, you know, they've seen Star Wars movies and Harry Potter movies that are PG-13. It'll be fine. And I'll be honest, like, the first about hour of the movie... I was okay with it. You know, I thought there was some fun stuff. Dwayne Johnson's great. Emily Blunt is great. It's got that African queenie thing Mm. with a little feminist bent to it. And the, 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 you know, the, the period recreation is, is fun. And all of that geographical society of London stuff is fun and all that stuff. And, um, you know, Jesse Plemons is a, is a great villain. And, and Edgar Ramirez is, is, is really good. Like, you know, everybody's kind of bringing, coming to play. And then, man, this thing just takes the gnarliest, <laughs> darkest turns sideways into Pirates of the Caribbean zombie territory where, like, ancient dead... People and Edgar Ramirez is sort of key to this whole thing where where the ancient dead Spaniards and Aztecs are all coming back to life again. They're reanimated by the whole Raiders of the lost Archie thing going on. And it all, it all just goes south at that point. And, and snakes are crawling out of skull eye sockets. And that's when the kids started crying. And it's like, okay, we're going to bed. And dude, my daughter would not go on the jungle cruiser ride at Disneyland. For months because of that. She didn't want to go back on the ride. We're like, but you went on it when you were two. She's freaking out. She's like, the, the movie was haunting yeah. her. And I, all I could think was, man, Disney really, I mean. Really that blew that. Been, man, they blew that yeah. one. So upsetting. Yeah, take it, yeah, so if you're upset. Disney,
1: taking but you know what? That's the problem of not having all those units that they used to have back in the day. You know, know. Hollywood pictures and Disney they could figure out where to put in that. Now it's, you know, and and then yeah. sometimes that's not the right choice. That is not the right choice.
0: R E S P E C T. Respect. Yeah. Respect. Respect. Uh, How do we feel about Jennifer Hudson winning? Do, do, I
1: was going to say, do you think she's going to be in the? We're starting to get all these movies now. There are a lot of heavy duty dramas out there. Now we're coming off the heels of uh, of uh, you know the big um, um, uh, biopic win uh, of uh, of uh, Rami, uh, Now, yeah. for, uh, for for Queen. The yes, guy from Queen, Freddie. For yeah, I, 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 and, and of course we had um, um, uh, Chadwick. Uh, uh, um. Uh, so yep. I don't know if we're if we're at a spot where where we're we're gonna do. I I feel like this is gonna be one of those I, heavy drama years. I feel like that gal from um. Uh,
0: I feel like Spencer probably man. like like she's she's gonna win for playing Diana man. in Spencer. Man. I feel like that's the odds-on favorite right now um she's never won an oscar kristen's yeah, never won an yeah, oscar yeah, it's gonna yeah, be redemption yeah. for kristen stewart there's gonna be a redemption for for twilight yeah. they'll be like okay you paid your dues now we'll yeah. give you we'll yeah. give you an oscar jennifer hudson has an oscar however i do think she should be in the running yeah. here because i think this is a really uh, first of all i you know we talked about the um uh the television uh uh Yes, where Cynthia Revo, which is longer and a little bit more elaborate, but I feel like this captures Aretha Franklin's soul mm. better. I feel like um, Jennifer Hudson, and it could be because Cynthia Revo is not American, mm. right? They're, they're, you know, I feel like Jennifer Hudson, her life, her life experience, her background, her family, probably she connects to Aretha. Mm. More
1: And, 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 know, and, and, and literally, interested. literally, literally knew her very well. Uh, you know, you, know, you had that actual endorsement from Arisa to play Player. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting uh, uh, to see what the mood is uh, of the Academy with respect to all of these things this year. Last year, of course, Nomad Nomadland, this tiny little movie. So yeah. uh, somehow I feel like this year, uh, this year's Academy Awards are going to be about big things. Uh, big big movies with big big movie stars and uh and and i don't know i i kind of feel like the tiny was last year and this year it's all going to be about big things (coughs) we we
0: shall see we shall see well in any case i really really do love respect i think it's uh i think this is a very very good film a really rock solid biopic the the um the scenes where the songs are coming together Mm are so beautifully executed where everybody kind of where, especially all the stuff down in Muscle Shoals. And I love that they, they kind of tell a little bit of the story of Muscle Shoals here as well. And, and um, I think where everybody's kind of bringing the little pieces and they're, they're changing the song a little and upping the tempo and, you know, bringing the drums a little earlier and give me a riff on the guitar and all that stuff. And then, and, and you see the way that Aretha was not just someone who came in and sang to what was no, produced, yeah. that that she she insisted that everything. I mean, she was kind of the orchestra conductor, yeah. and her voice was 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 sort of the the piece, the mortar that brought it all together. Very much in control of the songwriting, the recording process. Really, inter- yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, what a life! What a, what a great life! A little bit like you know what what's love got to do with it? But I think this is a better film. Yeah, yeah interesting.
1: Film. Yeah. yeah, very good, very good. Uh, yeah. What else we got up here?
0: Let's see uh other new movies uh best oh yeah did you see best I yeah. uh uh, uh, I love uh
1: this movie. yeah wonderful uh, uh, uh michael Caine uh and, and Aubrey. just you know, just this whole sort of interesting sort of sort of sort of cast there uh at work. uh michael with, with oh, I, 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 yeah, it's just I, I'm sorry
0: I'm sorry that this is not on Blu-ray I wish it were, it should be it's not like a brilliant visual thing or anything but it, it should have a Blu-ray option um, I, I don't know if Michael Caine will, will get an Oscar nomination for this I think the film will kind of fall between yeah. the cracks but it's a, it's a lovely, lovely plot. Basically, Aubrey Plaza inherits her dad's uh, publishing yeah. empire, and it's on the rocks, and the only way that she has to resurrect it is to go dig up this crusty old alcoholic widower who who's like a, you know, he's a jerk, and is played by Michael Caine, and he's he hasn't written a book in, like, you know, 40, 50 years, but he still owes him one under his old contract. So, you know, you suddenly have the mis- mismatched buddy yeah. thing. It's a, And I on the radio, I said, basically... It's forty eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> Except instead of instead of, you know, a cop thing, it's a publishing thing, but you know, Michael Caine is is Eddie Murphy yeah. and, and Aubrey Plaza is Nick Nolte and and that's what it is. And it and, and but I just think it's wonderful. I really think yeah. it's wonderful and has a lot to say about art and, and artists and, and yeah, love it. Absolutely. I think it's a great film. Prisoners of the Ghost Land, Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, every now and again, Nick, Nick has in and, and this interview, Nick has the Cassavetes and the thing. Every now and again, Nick has one, you know, um, uh, Willie Willie's Wonderland. and, 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 and Yeah, where they go completely. Uh, this is not necessarily one of those. This is just, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is just a movie. And yes, it's wacky. And Nicholas Case is in it. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean you want to go ahead and, and jump into this one.
0: This is directed. This is directed by uh, Cien Sono the uh, Japanese director, who's a little bit like if David Lynch um, were l- totally lacking in any self control or, or artistic discipline. <laughs> S- Sona, Sona's movies are just they're from Mars. They're totally off the wall. I don't get them. This is like this weird kind of post-apocalyptic um, mega violent thing where uh, Nicholas Cage is, you know, he he has to. I I, I like the whole. I I don't, I don't understand it. Like he's he's in an outfit. He's in this suit. A warlord puts him in a suit that's gonna kill yeah, that's him. the thing on his neck. Uh, yeah. If he doesn't bring the guy's daughter or niece, I believe, yeah, which yeah. it is, back within a certain period of time yeah. from like, I don't know. Anyway, the whole thing is really tedious and ultra violent and doesn't really make a lot of sense. Cause it's got all this weird cultural fusion, but look, Hey man, if you want to watch Nicolas Cage completely lose his mind and I guess yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, reminiscence Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Uh, Lisa you know, Joy. Hugh Jackman. You know? He, he, Jackman's kind of trying to do, um, something, uh, other than, than Wolverine at this yeah. point, and I, I think he's kind of having a hard time. Uh, he, he plays a PI here, and I'm not sure I really buy him as a PI. I kind of feel like he's just too much of a movie star to me, for me to buy him as Sam Spade. Um, but that's kind yeah. of what it is, sort of a modern modern Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's got some special features, Few, few... few There's uh, a bunch of whole sci-fi kind of stuff.
1: They would have been better off if they had just lost all the sort of invest- the mind and going into the mind. they lose all of that and just tell this as a straight...
0: You it it look, it's 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 sci-fi only because it's about it deals in the world of yeah. memories and, and lost yeah. memories and whatnot. But but otherwise it's like it Blade Runner. I'm sorry, maybe it's more like yeah, Blade Runner. Yeah, it's a yeah. bit, Blade Runner is a Sam Spade movie. Yeah, too. but it has this sort
1: of intention of being uh, this sort of inception-y sort of, you know. Uh but, yeah. but like you, know, you get rid of all that and just, you know, do whatever you now whatever
0: Well speaking of that and speaking of uh Cynthia Erivo, mm-hmm. um uh, needle in a time stack. Oh yeah. Um, um,
1: this is that was a
0: what I, do you think? It, John Ridley,
1: um, uh, uh, directing, uh, and, and, yeah. uh, and you know, and, and, he, and he adapted the screenplay from that from that from that short story. it's it's it, and again, it has to. to it
0: seems like it has to do a Robert Silverberg Robert short story, Silverberg. which is a very, very, which is a very famous sci-fi yeah. story. But yeah, yeah,
1: you know, and Leslie Oldham Junior. and, and Free to Pinto and Cynthia River, and and uh, there's there's this, this there's this sort of idea that time can be changed. Uh, the little, 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 little mo and and people can do it they're not supposed to do it it's against the law right to, to do these things where you can create these little little changes in the ripples of time and uh, and and thus change all kinds of things and people eventually sort of forget uh, you know whom they had been and their relationships and all this and this is sort of you know uh, vying for this relationship between Leslie Odom's char- character and this and this the, the white guy played by whoever and he keeps changing the timeline and and, and will they be able to hold their love to Together as 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 these little time sequences keep changing. But the problem of this movie is, it, it doesn't seem like a love story. I suppose this is all supposed to be a love story. You know, can this love survive? But it, it seems more like a story about obsession. You know, it's, it's not so yeah. much that he's in in love with her as it is that he doesn't want the other guy to have her. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and and, yeah. and, 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 and sort of cool and cold in that way. And uh, I don't know anyways, so maybe it's a matter of interpretation, but it didn't feel the way I think it was intended to feel.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, shall we get a few uh a few TV things? Yeah. Anything uh, in the TV list that uh, we should show? the
1: Crown have. season four, you tell me um, um, uh,
0: the, uh, it just keeps getting better and better. This show's amazing. Uh, I just think I think this show's phenomenal. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how how this sort of resonates. Uh, once Spencer comes out, because we're just we're getting inundated with you know with 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 Diana yeah. stuff. But uh, I I kind of feel like you know um, as we move into the 80s and Diana and all that stuff, it's it's still it's still working, man. It's just working really mm. beautifully. It's so well done. Um, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see where they bring this thing to a close because it's going to come right up to the present day at some point. Uh, but um, I, I think it's terrific. I think uh, you know it won, it's, it. It just keeps winning awards, and and people keep watching. It. I think it's one of the best TV shows of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else well, to say. Well,
1: the, the the drama of the family continues. That's for sure. I mean, with the, with with the yeah. uh, relatively recent death of uh, Prince Prince Philip, uh, and yeah. uh, and the Queen doesn't get younger uh, every day, uh, and uh, and we know that we will be skipping. Charles and going to um, uh, what's his name? Not Harry, but the other guy, William. William, uh, you know. Yeah. So, so a lot of this is sort of uh, you know laid out as, but it'll be interesting to see how that also sort of plays itself out.
0: So we've got we got season one of uh, Walker, uh-huh. the new Walker Texas Ranger. Um, did, no. I, I have not watched any of this? Have you watched? J- any yeah, of this? Jared
1: Pilecki uh, got the guy out of uh, Supernatural there. Yeah. I, 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 and I thoroughly enjoy, enjoyed him. Uh, on that. Sh- look. I, the whole point of Walker, Texas Ranger, is that he is played by Chuck Norris, uh, who, exactly. for, relatively speaking, no reason is a Texas Ranger who knows a whole lot of uh, martial arts. And, and, and then he and, and, and his partner wander around Texas uh, kicking ass, mostly with martial arts. Uh, Jared Pilecki does not know martial arts. He has a gun and he punches people. And I'm like, that's Done. that we've we've half of the reason why I'm watching the show. Doesn't it's, it's not here. Uh,
0: anyway. that's, but, it. No. Uh, that. that's, that's it. That's no. it. I agree completely. That's that nails it for me. Uh, season one of Emily in Paris. This is absolutely kind of delightful. Uh, I, I just have a whole lot of fun with this, uh, but I like Lily Collins and I and I like Paris. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, Darren Starr, of course, creator of Sex and the City, did this. And uh, I just think if, if, if you have a chance, watch it. This is really an awful lot of fun. Great special features, uh, mostly about Paris and some deleted scenes, which aren't really worth watching. But otherwise, I uh, stick with it. Emily in Paris, a lot of fun. I'm a Kung Fu, I'm a Kung um, Fu fan. Uh, yeah, uh, I, the new, the Kung, new Kung, Kung Fu.
1: Fu uh, led by a, 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 a young woman. Has nothing whatsoever to do in terms of narrative. Uh, with that kung fu that you and I, you know David Carradine and all that, just nothing yeah. whatsoever uh, to do with this you know, contemporary, contemporarily set show. She's more or less ends yeah. up being a sort of a, a detective with a few sidekicks and some love interests and her parents and. Brother and sister, and there's a, a through line uh, of the family, um, um, uh, but you know it, it, it's just a good reason to do a whole lot of wushu and and s- some stuff that's ever so slightly mystical at first. Um, uh, the mysticism of it bugged me, um, uh, in in the same way that it did over in Nancy Drew. You know, the Nancy Drew you know, I started watching Nancy Drew, and you know, there was all this sort of mysticism and ghosts and things like that. And I'm like, yeah. Wait a minute, what are minute, Where are we? What are we doing here? But I saw, I I decided to just saw like. You know what? Just go with it because she's cute, uh, and her kung fu is quite powerful. And uh, and I decided to just do that instead. So I like kung fu.
0: Kung fu complete first season. Uh, Snowpiercer yeah. the uh, is now in its second season. I um, uh, y- you know the great thing about the original movie yeah. is that it came to yeah. an end because you can't drive that train around with that premise yeah. forever. I do feel like this second season. I was curious to see, like, how how many seasons do you think you can get out of people on yeah. the train? And uh, clearly, they believe that they can keep this going for a while. Um, and they and they and they're kind of cheating it in all kinds of you know interesting ways, which I won't get into. But uh, still, you know, they're trying to keep that drama going. I it's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Connelly is very good mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but um, I just don't. It feels like it's starting to stretch at the seams a little bit. I think. Um, I don't know. Snowpiercer uh, from on TNT second season Blu-ray. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Man of the Arrowverse shows, this is the one that I just never really could <laughs> get into. I, I, I would watch, watch the one. ones with the, cro- do, do the, do the I, 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 I love the crossovers. Yeah. Whenever there's a crossover <laughs> thing you know, I, I'll, I'll get into this it. This one, is the, it's, it's,
1: it's the campiest, it's the goofiest. The cast has changed 15 times. Um, that's the thing.
0: I can't keep track of the characters. They keep bringing yeah, people in, and, pulling you know, them out, bringing and, them in, pulling they, them out. They,
1: at the moment, they're stuck in the 1920s but that's not this season. What season are you looking at?
0: This is six. Okay. Yeah, this is this is season six. And uh, I it's like I just I, I there's nobody that I like Sarah Lance is the last person here that that I, I was really hanging on to. And now she's been abducted by yeah. aliens. And, oh, and it's oh, just yeah, like the, the whole. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't care about Constantine doesn't really work yeah. for me. Um, you know, some of the people, some of these other characters. are like, are these really DC? Are you just making stuff up now? Are you just bring like bring back Hawkman and Hawkwoman? Yeah. Like I recognize yeah. them. No, I feel like I feel like it's kind of uh, it's just it's too much. I have a hard time keeping track of it. But whatever, <laughs> whatever. People like it. <laughs> well, they people keep it, like it, it is. You know. Yeah, and, and 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 you know, it feels a little bit like quantum leap when they start bouncing <laughs> around through all these different <laughs> historical figures. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, like David Bowie shows up in this season. Really? <laughs> Spartacus, I get. David Bowie? That, that's weird. Anyway, whatever. can't kill David uh, Bowie. It'll ruin. Yeah. Kevin can blank himself oh, yeah. season one. Uh, I, I didn't watch this, and then Annie Murphy won an Emmy, and I'm like, all right. Uh, maybe I should catch up. This is on AMC. Yeah. It's on Blu-ray, first season. Uh, it it, it, it I, I I like her. I'm not sure I like the show. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. I mean it's uh it's kind of like a it's sort of like a, a darker version of what would have normally been a traditional sitcom, but um I don't know. She's she's good. We'll see where it, we'll see where um, it goes. Um so Kevin can learn himself. Uh, mom, Baptiste, anything here that, uh, that floats your fancy mom, before we start to wrap uh, to a is, close?
1: Is, is, really this fascinating show that just, you know, ran forever. Uh, uh yeah. and, uh, you know, and yeah, I think, I think, I think uh, our Alison Jannie spent more years on this than she did on West Wing. You know, we think yeah. West Wing. Uh, uh, this Chuck Lorre show. And, and and again, it's just another insanely successful Chuck Lorre show. Chuck Lorre has probably already become the sort of like um, I don't know, Erwin Winkler or whoever would have been of our peer. Aaron Spelling, I suppose, would be a closer. Uh, uh, so and, and I just been thinking about that uh, the, the, lately. These sort of television um, uh, namestays and Chuck Lorre is one of those guys, and 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 he's just had all of these shows on, including this one, uh, that have just ran for season after season after season. Uh, uh, you know, Two and a Half Men, and and uh, just it's just you know Chuck Lorre. Um, uh, it's just uh, sort of amazing. So there it is. Uh, I, I think I've maybe maybe seen three episodes of Mom all total in these, it was was 2013. This went. And, uh, and so what is this? Is this the
0: final season? Or what are you? This is mom, the eighth and final season. Yep. The eighth and final season. It is done. And, yeah, because a crazy long run, uh, and then uh, the the last TV here before I get I had just a few other little uh, quickies, some Criterion stuff that I want to want to call attention to before we we close out and like, dive into mm. anime. Um, Superman and oh, Lois. Yeah. This is the first season. Um, boy, this was a really interesting. I thought, really, do you want to do this after Smallville and Lois and Clark? And haven't you kind of done this thing to death a mm-hmm. little bit? I uh, I watch. I've been but, watching. I've been watching. Yeah, it's
1: not bad, man. It's not I, bad. Look, I, 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 when it first started, it it, it it started in this particular sort of way, and it had to do with Lex Luthor and this and, and and this black guy, and 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 I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, are they doing that thing? But then it, yeah. it, it cleverly worked its way out of that and into the film and into the film into the, into the series that it became, mostly set in Smallville. Uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Lois and Clark and their two teenage sons, uh, sort of fraternal twins, one of whom, whom, uh, you know, may have powers and so on and so forth. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and Lois is running around doing what she's doing. And, 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 and he's, 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 he's playing Superman, but he's playing a distinctly different guy when he's Clark Kent. You know, he's yeah. Superman when he's Superman, and he's Clark Kent when he's Clark Kent. Anyway, I and plus it's really kind of a, a very well made series. Looks fantastic. Looks way more expensive than Flash,
0: for instance. It it does. It's it's like Arrowverse adjacent, yeah. um, and it is uh, is probably the best way to put it. But yeah, I like the idea of the the domestic. You know, moving back to Smallville, trying to raise a family, all that kind of stuff. I thought was very. It's it's done in a very interesting way, and uh, I think they're going to be able to get some really interesting mileage out of this uh, out of the show long term. So it's a really it's an unusual DC. They sort of sort out villains. Um, That's what they're going to have to do is sort out villains. You know who is it that
1: Superman's going to be dealing with from season to season? Because you know, indeed, that's that's where Flash got in trouble.
0: Um. Very true, boy. Especially yeah. lately. So, real quickly on some some classic titles and some foreign titles, real fast, uh, just to close out. Uh, I got three from Kino, all W.C. Fields films: uh, The Bank Dick, It's a Gift by Norman MacLeod, and The Old Fashioned Way with uh, with W.C. Fields and Baby Leroy. <laughs> uh, look, W.C. Fields is just amazing in all these things. One of the one of the all time great vaudevillians turned movie star. Uh, really extraordinary. Uh, I think, uh, Norman McLeod in, uh, It's a Gift is probably the best director of any of these. But the bank Dick is the one that most people remember. It is just uh, you know oh, it's, it's, it's Shep, later Shep. W C Fields from Nice. Jeff
1: Howard's in that man. Are you kidding yeah.
0: I know it's from 1940. The Fields is getting older. Man. He's just crankier in his skin. It just it's the one that really people really really uh, kind of respond to. But these are all really great films. Definitely worth watching. Uh, you got to have them on the on the shelf if you're uh, if you're a big W C Fields fan. From Criterion, we have two really interesting ones: Rat Catcher by Lynn mm-hmm. Ramsey. Uh, which is which has been out on DVD before. It's finally out on Blu-ray. It was her big 1999 coming of age debut film. Lynn Ramsey, still a very controversial filmmaker, very uh, avant-garde-ish. But Ratcatcher is uh, poetic and beautiful and really extraordinary, and looks great on Blu-ray. A fair amount of extras here, but nothing really amazing. It's kind of a little bit thin. It's got some of her uh, award-winning short films. And a couple of interviews uh, from uh, 2002 and 2021. Uh, And then we also have uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man, which is this really cool Jack Arnold film from 1957 based on uh, Richard Matheson uh, story that is one of the more interesting science fiction films of that particular kind of Cold War paranoia period. And um, it's very philosophical. Matheson is really talking about a lot of stuff going on in the zeitgeist at Mm. the time, but um, this is a really interesting film. Um, I, I think it makes a very, very good uh, Criterion release, and they put tons of extras on yeah. here. There's even a, uh, a, a an interview from 2016 with uh, Richard Matheson's son, who is also part I'm not to mention novels.
1: some act- absolutely producer. extraordinary sort of forced perspective mm-hmm. photography uh, in that film and, 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 and set yeah. pieces and, and and stuff that still kind of plays today. You know, it's not
0: not bad at all. Very much so. And then on the foreign language side, uh, we've got the film Chernobyl 1986 by Danila Kozlowski, which I think goes well with the um, HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Uh, this is this is more of a more of a, a disaster film take on it than sort of an existen- than, than a than a historical accounting from a more existential point of view but uh, it's very very well done and uh, it is it's made it is a Russian yeah. film we should yeah. point out so it's it's made in russia and uh, in Russian. Uh, so it doesn't it avoids some of the political uh, pitfalls but uh well, you know yeah, looking yeah, at but you know, uh, it, yeah you kind of can entirely yeah
1: Perspective is the hell of
0: a thing. But, uh, you know, from the point of view of a firefighter, kind of their 9-11 in some respects. Yeah. So uh, Chernobyl, Chernobyl 1986. Then we've also got three Jean-Paul Belmondo oh. movies. Uh, Le Magnifique by Philippe de Broca, which is probably the best of them with uh, Jacqueline Bessette. Uh, and, and Belmondo is awful. Is, is, it's a little cheesy in hindsight, mm. uh, but it's still a lot of fun. De Broca, 1973, you know, kind of doing what he does best. Um, another De Broca film called Cartouche with uh, Belmondo and Claudia Cardinale. Uh, this is more of a swashbuckler, a period swashbuckler. Lots of fun. This is, this is 1962, a decade mm-hmm. earlier. This is De Broca doing his precise thing. And then uh, Italian director Philippe Labro did The Hunter Will Get You, which is just a straight-up, you know, crime gun movie and Belmondo being uh, his gangster self here. Uh, some great commentaries on here with uh, Howard Berger both on uh, Le Magnifique and uh, The Hunter Will Get You, uh, along with uh, Steve Mitchell and uh, Nathaniel Thompson. Bl- you know, give you a really good sense of Belmondo's career. We were exposed oh, to yeah. Belmondo when he showed up with Women Attached <laughs> for his last yeah. Award. That was quite amusing. Yeah. And then lastly, a couple of foreign language uh, criterions. La Strada, in a standalone oh, version, the, the complete Fellini boxed set has this included. So you don't need this as a standalone if you have the box set. But if you just want to listen which is a beautiful, beautiful film, you can pick this up as a, as a standalone. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lastly, uh, Satyajit Ray's Devi, which is one of my all-time favorite Ray films from 1960. Absolutely fantastic film. Uh, beautiful, beautiful commentary on, on a whole litany of things in Indian culture, but about humanity mm-hmm. generally. Um, uh you know dealing with like religious issues in india and in the culture and and uh you know class issues feudalism it's all really uh, just amazingly wrapped together in this film that has one of the all-time uh, you know great endings of any Ray yeah. film. I, I think it's just yeah. terrific. So, um, not really any extras on here, but uh, you know there's some interviews, but nothing, nothing. It's it's very thin in terms of extras. But the fact that we have you know any any further Ray films being released on uh, Blu-ray is a great yeah. thing. So. That's it. All right, Tim. I'm gonna I'm gonna pile into the, the anime now. Any final words before you start uh, off? Let's
1: see. Uh, what are we doing? We, we're starting. We're starting award season uh, here. Yeah. Uh, so that's it's going to be interesting. I know that you've seen. Have you seen? You've seen what Belfast.
0: Saw Belfast. That was the premiere of Belfast, which I which I really, really love. It's like his 400 blows. Mm. I think it's a terrific. Yeah. Film. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's really yeah, good. Yeah.
1: So, you know, and uh, I, I'm, I saw Lic- Licorice Pizza uh, just the other night. I think we talked about it at the top of the show. So. So here we go. It should be interesting. I'm yeah. thinking that it, this is going to be a sort of fully attended. I've I've been needing to needing to physically go to the theater again. So I think that, that yeah. speaks to something. Um, uh, so I imagine we're going to have a, 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 a um, although our, our critics organization has not decided yet, um, whether or not we will be in
0: person, um, um, uh, for, for our thing. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. sort that out. We got time. Um, what, uh, what, uh, what do you, what do you hear about House of Gucci? Uh, Cause I'm hearing mixed things. I was supposed to see it last night. Didn't feel up to it. So I didn't um, go,
1: you know, uh, 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 same as
0: you, uh,
1: I didn't go to the same one that you didn't go to. So, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, about <laughs> that tomorrow, so that, and plus I've seen that trailer, and and, uh, and, and I, we may have talked about this in an email chain, but I'm I'm looking at that trailer, you know, with Lady Gaga and Adam Driver and and all this kind of stuff, and they're and they're playing these Italians, you know, and uh, and I'm like, uh, they're playing these Italians, <laughs> you know, and they're <laughs> and, but they're playing these Italians, you know, and as opposed to it being Mastroniani and 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 Sophia Loren yeah, or yeah. Something like that, who who wouldn't yeah, be yeah. playing Italians? They would just be being Italian, the character, and uh, and uh, and uh, so that was that was a bit of a problem for me. I'm super duper looking forward to Cyrano uh, because Peter Dinklage, uh, and uh, and I'm interested in 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 the way Joe Wright is going to sort of like sort that out. It's and and I'm also uh, looking forward to uh, the single Cohen brothers uh, Macbeth with Denzel, which isn't Macbeth, but but a sort of follow follow on from. Yeah. To, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so you yeah, those, know, those are some of the. That's that's one of the reasons why I say that this year is going to be a year I think about really, really big films, films with Denzel Washington and uh, and uh, and big movie stars. And
0: uh, and 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 you know, Branagh spoke to a lot of that when he introduced Belfast at the premiere, which is still
1: a really, really uh, which, big but, film, but despite that it's a you it's, know, but it's, it's a fucking look, movie star film
0: it it, it it's, it's it's Kenneth Branagh and it's and it's saying i think it stands a very good chance of being the oscar frontrunner right now because branagh is a huge figure and and is you know kind of, kind of due but it's also very personal but he was saying you know they want to bring people back to the theaters and that's what what belfast is all about because it's also inspired by his love of movies and going to the movies you know it has a a little kind of, mm. of cinema paradiso yeah. subtext to it as well. It's kind of like a, like a movie that molds Cinema Paradiso and 400 blows and hope and glory all in with some kind of a, you know, a, an, an Irish and one of the, you know, like some kind of an IRA in the name of the father. Yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. It has a little, you know, you that know,
1: that a little bit more context because of the time than say Roma, yeah. but otherwise it's, it's, it's right. like, it's very Roma uh, um, yeah. um, uh, with, yeah. uh, with this particular period. And so, so anyway, but uh, yeah, right. That's that's anyway. Uh, all right, brothers. Uh, good talking to you. Not all right, the rest good. of it out. you
0: soon. Very good. And here we go into anime. All right, it's been a little while since we have uh, tackled anime, so we have let Tim go, and I'm just going to give this a. Uh, Spend the next few minutes just briskly going through some of the great new anime and more interesting new anime that some of uh, some of you may not be aware of, as it is a very, very robust market. So let's get busy with it. Uh, as we have often talked about, anime is uh, is very, very often preoccupied with uh, the politics of Japanese schools. And uh, we have a season one collection here of one such series called Kakigurui K-A-K-E. E.G.U.R.U.I. Kakigarui. Uh This is all about uh, the the politics of the elite people in the world, the wealthy, the prestigious people who send their kids to this uh, particular one private school. And uh, at night, everything goes haywire, and um, you know the kids the kids become uh, master gamblers and uh, everything else anyway there's um there's nothing um particularly unusual about this it's just very much in that genre really more for teens and young adults i would say it's not really kid appropriate uh, the next that we have is vinland saga this is the complete collection of vinland saga this like the last one is from the sente collection Section 23 is the distributor. Uh, Vinland Saga is actually really, really interesting and very cool. A lot of great anime, of course, is drawn from other mythologies, other parts of the world, and this is no different. This is uh, an anime lens on Norse mythology and uh, kind of basically medieval uh, Denmark and Iceland and all of the sort of Viking lore that goes on around it it is indeed a saga it is incredibly well animated it's sort of um you could very easily see this as a as a medieval japanese saga set in medieval japan except in this case it's uh it's it's a backdrop of vikings like it a lot better than the television show vikings i will say that so vinland saga really cool it'd be nice if they expanded that universe a little bit heaven's memo pad uh, is, uh, based on a manga, and this is the complete collection, also from Sente. Um, n- n- not exactly my kind of thing. Uh, I, there are, there are manga, and there are some, uh, kind of graphic novel versions of manga. This again has, uh, deals with a little bit of, um, of, of student politics. I don't want to call it school politics, but, uh, it's student politics, focuses on, Oh, uh wish fulfillment, we will say, the um the teen detectives is probably a better way of putting it. Uh kids who want to become kind of Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys uh type teenagers in in and solving these various cases. Uh it's, you know, it's not exactly Nancy Drew not exactly Hardy Boys. It's uh but it's fine. It, it, it works. Uh, the, the artwork is good. The animation is decent. But it doesn't really, you know, blow you away. Um, kind of wants to imagine that it's, I guess, maybe like Junior Avengers or something. But it doesn't it doesn't really rise to that level. Uh, also an interesting manga, which was turned into uh, anime, and we have the complete series here from Sente as well, is Maria Hollick. Maria is her first name. All her last name, and uh, this, this is pro- this goes back uh, probably about fifteen years or so the the original uh, the original manga, and uh, once again a high school girl. Her name is Kanako Miyamai, and she has uh, an unusual affliction, which is that she she's traumatized. <clears throat> Excuse me, she's traumatized by a childhood event that now causes her to be almost allergic to boys and uh, so that she doesn't break out in in a rash when boys touch her. She goes to this uh, all-girls school hoping that she can, you know, uh, have a relationship with a girl because she can't have a relationship with a boy. They will cause her to physically react. Unfortunately for her, the girl that she falls for may actually be a boy those crazy anime animators and their their wacky stories right so it's that's mariaholic complete series um you know it's a little weird it kind of touches on some of the fetishistic stuff that uh, is often a big deal uh in in hentai except here it's part of anime and it is what it is the magnificent kotobuki of the movie the this is a a very well known and well worn uh property <coughs> um the uh series originally aired in uh, 2019 and uh this is a movie based on that series uh it's it's s- sort of um it's sort of retro. It's, it's not a, uh, it doesn't take place in a particular place in time, but it definitely seems to have a world war two bent to it. And, you know, there are, there are world war one or somewhere between world war one and world war two, there are, uh, planes and fighter pilots and, and, uh, dirigibles and, and various other things. And, uh, this just happens to be about a squad of young women, uh, fighter, young women who fly fighter planes. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's girl power and it's, it's creative. It, um, y- there's probably a little bit more to the lore that you won't necessarily get if you haven't watched the original series or read any of the original manga, but uh, it comes loaded with some wonderful special features. And, uh, if you, if you do like the property, you will definitely be able to, uh, appreciate the movie of it dusk maiden of amnesia also based on a manga as so many of them are uh again school oriented the politics of school and another private school in this case it is sikyu private academy and uh the 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 twist here is that it's um it's not exactly a normal school. It's a very unusual school. It's a very un- built over this, this shrine. And uh, there are some supernatural things going on regarding a certain deceased figure's uh, possible ghost. And um, it, it veers a little bit into... Uh, it's kind of somewhere between... Harry Potter and uh oh a Japanese ghost story I guess best way to put it if you were to, if you were to filter the Harry the world of Harry Potter and the world of an educational institution and the supernatural through a through a prism that related to Japanese traditional ghost stories it that would basically be Dusk Maiden of Amnesia um really really beautifully animated uh some very very creative uh, visualization here but uh, somewhat somewhat uh, pedestrian writing. I'm sorry to say. Hero Mask uh, was uh, seen, I believe, here on Netflix at one point. Uh, in any case, this takes place in London, kind of uh, a, a uh, semi-futuristic London, and uh, deals with a particular crime unit, an imaginary crime unit, and, uh, it's kind of a noir, I guess, um, trying to solve rather elaborate, um, elaborate crimes that may or may not have a, uh, a supernatural, uh, dimension to them. The prisoners that they are, they are trying to capture these, these escaped prisoners, uh, appear to have some kind of super, super abilities. So, um... Hero Mask is the uh, the complete collection. It's a bit of a you know noir with a little touch of, uh, uh, of superpowers and superheroes, and uh, incredibly great artwork and conceptual design. Really, really super cool. Uh, this includes some of the Japanese promos and uh, character costume designs and uh, a few other behind the scenes things. Very, very cool to look at. Hero Mask next we have School Live. Um, school Live is not anime, but it comes from Sente. So it is the, uh, the, the, it is, it is uh, anime adjacent. This uh, goes into the Japanese schoolgirl thing and combines it with horror. And we've got two movies here. We've got School Live, the movie and Gakko School Live, another story. Um, it's uh, again, adapted from a manga. This is a kind of a, a, it's sort of a horror. I don't know that it's that horrifying. Um, it, it, I don't know if it's, it's all that good to be honest, but, uh, it definitely has a, has a certain genre appeal. And, uh, the idea here is that it's, uh, about these, these, these girls who are all, you know, in the same school, they all kind of know each other, but they aren't necessarily friends, but they are brought together when there's a zombie outbreak. And as in all zombie stories, they have to somehow bond together and, Hang out and do the the zombie world thing and slay zombies. So you have Japanese schoolgirls in uniform slaying zombies. Funny, not as funny as it probably should be, uh, and it doesn't really justify a sequel. But for some reason, uh, they made a sequel, and it's you know probably it's not worse than the original. It's about probably about the same. Uh, I'm going to mutilate the title of this one, but I'm going to give it my shot anyway. Uh, we've talked about this before. Chihayafuru. Chihayafuru. This is—we've talked about this before. There have been uh, two previous seasons. This is now the third season of it. More or less the same as the previous. Don't bother with it if you haven't watched the others. You need some continuity here. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense if you uh, if you aren't already up to speed. But. Um, you know, if you don't know what a Karuta is, for example, that's not going to mean a whole lot to you. But uh, if you have caught up on the previous two, just know that the third season is now out and awaiting your attention. Also based on a manga is the post-apocalyptic tale Seven Seeds, which uh, we've also talked about before. This is part two and uh, very, very interesting. This is uh, it, it, it answers some of the questions from the previous <coughs> from part one. And uh, it actually opens up some really interesting new little uh, uh, new areas that, that new questions about um, how these people were preserved and you know what uh, how we're going to create the the new these, these young people who've been uh, basically engineered to help re- re- repopulate the Earth after the uh, the apocalypse um, really. Philosophically, kind of uh, reaches uh, much further than you expect it to to do so. The uh, and the, the, the there's there is as is often the case here a lot of uh, sort of uh, lingering questions that have been part of Japanese anime and Japanese science fiction since the end of World War II. Uh, things related to nuclear power and and the the use of technology and whether technology is outstripping humans and you know the usual themes that are, that are very much a part of Japanese science fiction uh, are, are quite well explored here, also superbly well animated and um, very disciplined writing, much more disciplined than I would normally have expected for, for where the, the first part went. Uh, next, we have a complete collection of Gate, G-A-T-E, which is a fantasy series. Uh, originally from about 10, 15 years ago was a manga, and uh, it makes for pretty great anime. Really, uh, very, very clever, pulpy storytelling. Um, it takes place in modern day Tokyo, where a uh, an, an interdimensional portal um, brings forces into modern day Tokyo uh, through this kind of Stargate that uh, that threaten the city and, and potentially the world. And uh, this is all about the kind of uh, Independence Day type effort that is mobilized to address this, uh, <coughs> excuse me, this unusual, this unusual threat. And of course, it's not, you know, it's it's not at all what you expect it to do. It has some really interesting twists and turns. Cagister uh, of an insect cage. I'll say that again, Cagister of an Insect Cage. Once again, Sente library um, based on a manga and also a post-apocalyptic story to it, uh, in which after the apocalypse, these people are doing kind of a Starship Troopers thing and fighting giant bugs. Uh, It's different from Starship Troopers, though, obviously uh in that there's kind of an invasion of the body snatchers vibe to it almost kind of a a zombie vibe to it so it uh it's pulpy but it is unique on its own it's 12 episodes uh on two discs and um really quite intelligent and very very interesting good genre stuff here so that's the complete collection of kagister of an insect cage kids on the slope Again, Sente, and based on a manga. Uh, this is uh, from people who did Cowboy Bebop. And um, it's pretty, pretty cool, actually. Um, more student politics, but not of uh, the uh, necessarily supernatural variety. Uh, this is all kind of a tribute to jazz, which is a thing in Japan. And, um, uh, you know, these high school students who are who are forming relationships and, and basically uh, uh, trying, you know, uh, to to express themselves through through jazz. And much of it centers around a, uh, a record shop that uh, one of the family, one of the, the family of one of the characters owns. Um, it takes a little bit uh, takes a little bit getting used to it. it's a little bit slow in, in ramping up. Uh, it's set in the 1960s so there's a there's a kind of a period thing going to it the period the 60s and jazz don't quite fit together very well it's not quite clear why it had to be in the 1960s um and the interviews here don't necessarily go very far in answering that but um it's it is uh, it is nicely done and uh kind of you know more more grown up than these things typically are um we've got one here from shout and G-Kids, uh, who are doing a, a great deal, bringing a lot of other anime to the fore. Future Boy Conan was an early Hayao Miyazaki uh, project. Uh, this is, like, I guess, uh, what year was this? This is, uh, it's been quite some time. Um uh, the I think it was this was a, at least twenty years ago that this was originally aired, but um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun actually. It's it's a it's a very like as as is it the case with much Miyazaki, it's uh, it's very sweet and it sort of uh, has wonderful uh, escapist quality to it. Um, so the what's a little weird here is the thing that we get now with a lot of science fiction, where the year it takes place in is of course our past, but it is the future of the story when it was originally done. Um, in any case, I think, uh, and this this may actually go as far back as the the 1970s, but it it you know it's been done a lot over time, and it's uh it is uh you, you see the Miyazaki of today kind of taking shape. Um, it uh, it's a little bit of apoco- post apocalyptic in that uh, we're in a place in 2008 where the world has been largely um. Is sent into a tailspin, and uh, the Earth is is now kind of off of its 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 orbital rotation. Um, a lot of cataclysms have taken place all over the planet, and um, there is this this boy named Conan, who is kind of a messianic figure, Joseph Campbell figure, among those who are trying to survive the Earth and uh, and flee into space and. Um, and be the last remnant of, of uh, humanity. Um, and um, it is the story of, of, Conan and, and how all of this transpires in his life and, and how he rises to his calling, the romance that he has with this young girl. And um, it's, it's a, it's very thoughtful and, and poetic and sweet and, and quite, quite lovely and very different. The uh, the Hentai Prince and the Stony Cat. Uh, the word Hentai always kind of uh, uh, sends people a little bit sideways because Hentai, of course, is the very very adult version of uh, of anime. In this case, it uh, it's a translation. It means, in theory, it would mean the the perverted prince and the cat who cannot smile. That's sort of what this would translate at the Hentai. Uh, prince and the stony cat that's kind of the, the literal transliteration of it um basically it's a school thing again about a guy who's kind of a pervert and um he's that doesn't mean that he's like a you know a deviant or anything it just means he's very shy and he doesn't manage his relationships very well he's socially awkward and all of that and um uh he has uh, let's Let's just say that he, um, there's something supernatural that makes itself available to him that may help him relieve all of these issues. But it is a Faustian bargain. And, you know, it becomes kind of a, a, a mythical parable at that point. Uh, very smartly written. Not all that interesting in terms of the, the artwork. It, it veers a little bit, it tries to be a little bit too hentai so it kind of misses a chance there, but, um, it is, it is worth watching. Uh, needing absolutely no introduction is neon Genesis Evangelion, which is new on, uh, Blu-ray 26 episodes, the complete series courtesy of once again, shout and G kids. Uh, this is, you know, a, a, it's no longer in the future. It's now in our past originally took place in 2015, and uh the future version of Tokyo is is under attack from supernatural possibly alien beings um it's kind of uh, one of the better mecha genre uh odysseys that have come about in recent years and uh it's very popular and uh you- Really can't go wrong. So there's a, there's some very, very special edition steelbooks and more deluxe editions available. We were only sent the regular Blu-ray, but um, there's a lot of uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion fare available this holiday season. So it's worth checking out. Uh, getting very close to the end here, we also have Venus Wars. Venus Wars is some really, really interesting animation. Uh, they took a lot of time with it. I just wish they'd taken a little, perhaps a little bit more time in the writing. It's, it's, kind, of, uh, it's kind of confusing, uh, it's a, but it's a very successful and popular manga. So I'm sure if you know the original manga, it will probably make a lot more sense to you. Um, it is uh, certainly when it was created in the, in the 1980s, I believe. It, it was set in the early 2000s. And uh deals with a, a cataclysm of sorts that takes place in the solar system and uh, some interplanetary co- uh, um, colonization and uh, mainly the relationships between Earth and Venus and uh, which is sort of a metaphor for a number of possible uh, conflicts between nations on earth. but in this case it is you know, Earth and Venus. Um, it's, uh, it looks great. Um, but again, it's a little bit hard to follow and it moves very, very quickly. But Venus Wars is, uh, is, is some good looking anime. Uh, complete collection of, uh, say, I love you again, high school politics, uh, about shy kids and, uh, and awkward kids and, and social adjustment and so forth. Um, there's nothing unusual here. It's uh, it's just straightforward teen drama. I don't know that this is going to be that interesting to anyone who's not already steeped in the genre, but uh, it, it does have some interesting artwork, um, very creative and kind of um, different in the way that the artwork is conceived and drawn. That also goes for the next one here, which is, I think, vastly superior in anime form to its original manga uh, inspiration just because of how aggressively the artwork was uh, was conceived. She, the ultimate weapon, otherwise known as Saikano. Saikano is the ultimate weapon. Um, once again, a high school student. Uh, Shuji is uh, is uh, is a young high school student. Uh, and, um, looking for the diaries left behind by his girlfriend. And this leads us into a rather elaborate diary narrated flashback. And, um, it's a grand drama, a grand war kind of war driven drama, um, uh, that deals with kind of a a female messianic presence that is trying not to reveal any of these these uh, the twists and turns in the story here but um if if you imagine if you imagine I'm trying to think of a good analogy to this in 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 Western science fiction, I'm not sure. I can. I'm not sure there really is one, but suffice to say that that uh, female messianic figures, and it's sort of uh, Mecca adjacent. It's not quite a Mecca tale, but it has a it has a, a, a touch of that. It's very nostalgic. It's. um it deals with immortality and many other concepts that are, that are sort of endemic to this, this class of, of anime. I think it's really cool. And it, uh, it's got a lot of really, really great edges to it. Didn't never read the, the manga, but she, the ultimate weapon just in terms of the artwork alone is really a step, uh, a step above what they, what they did in the, uh, the original manga. Um, nothing, uh, no big deal here. Nozo X Kimi um, Didn't give this much uh, consideration. I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with this. It's uh, this again, a, a manga a kind of a, you know, uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit prurient. Um, it, you know, guys peeking on girls' locker rooms and uh, it's a little bit titillating. It's like, it's like hentai, but not quite Hente. Um, it doesn't really have any uh, great redeeming qualities. It's just means to be rather and I'm sure the artist had a really good time with it. But uh, it, it's it it leaves much to be desired. Um, uh, Nozoex Kimmy for those who really care. Just a few more here. Uh, Redo of Healer has some of those same problems, unfortunately. Uh, this is, goes in the magical direction. Uh, the idea of, of trying to use, um, sexual abuse, I guess, as a, as an entree into telling a story that ostensibly has all kinds of, um, magical, uh, twists on destiny and fate. Um, the philosopher stone is, is part of this as well you know which it borrows from from harry potter and from from ancient lore um but the sexual aspect of it it really kind of takes it back and 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 I, i think diminishes what it's trying to do and that is quite unfortunate uh we continue to have some of those same similar problems in uh problem children are coming from another world aren't they that's one of those long elaborate anime titles that uh that really only exists in in in, in this particular world. Um, this is about three kids with psychic power and, uh, they are transported to this mystical place, um, where they engage in games that are strictly for people who have similar and comparable gifts, except that things are overseen in this particular place by these demonic figures. And um, I, even though this is not ostensibly designed to be titillating, the way it is drawn, the way the artwork is, is <coughs> conceived, it's, um, it seems to be aimed at that crowd, also rather insubstantially written and uh, fails to impress to any significant degree. Uh, we have season three of my teen romantic comedy, Snafu, Climax. Uh, won't go into this to any great degree uh, other than to say that this kind of has overstayed its welcome a little bit. Uh, it, it is, um, it's really far too much of the same. And then the last three, and we will call it quits, is Magical Girl Sight beautifully drawn also somewhat somewhat lacking in the story department um this is a this is middle school stuff and um kids with magic in middle school supernatural qualities to it um you know there's a it's a little funky because it has all kinds of weird internet stuff involved like you can you can like the uh, social media, Japanese social media brings together all those who have comparable magics. Like if, you know, Japanese schoolgirls who formed their own sort of X-Men team through social media, um, you know, it, it's a little far-fetched, not not great, um, beautifully animated, but really uh, kind of a very, very narrow audience for something like that um and then the last two uh made in abyss and sunday without god uh also skew rather young made in abyss um has uh, a a companion role-playing game for uh for computers and and game systems uh and it kind of plays a little bit like that uh you know it's 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 orphan wish fulfillment stuff it's kids and, and adventures and uh Indiana Jones type uh, adventure seeking, but it skews very young, very silly. The comedy doesn't really necessarily quite always pan out, but I think for young kids it'll be perfectly fine. And uh, Sunday Without God uh, was originally a, a what they call a light novel series, and uh, this takes place in a uh, kind of an, a, a, a fantasy world where um, people can no longer uh, have children. And everyone lives forever, and uh, it it takes some very interesting philosophical turns on that premise, which is a good one. And uh, I will I will not reveal any of the uh, the story aspects to it, but what it does with that premise is is um, is quite touching, and it asks some very very salient uh, questions that are both interesting from a religious and a philosophical standpoint. So Sunday without God. Um, really probably the most interesting thing of, of all the new anime that we have, and that is also from the Sente Library. So that is it for new anime. Uh, go out and, and uh, pick up whatever you want. It is uh, it is all available online at most internet, internet e-tailers, and with that, signing off, and we will uh, probably see you next time for our holiday show and gift guide, so be well and uh, and hang out. We're, I think we're almost through this thing, so... It's a little bit longer, and I think we'll be all back to normal pretty soon, if not by the end of the year, then certainly um, a little bit into 2022. See you next time.